This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Marissa. And I'm Brian Alexander. We're going to talk about the Doom City by Boris and Arkady Strugatsky. Still, I'm doing it wrong. Strugatsky, not Sturgatsky is what I used to want to say all the time. Strugatsky. Um, this is a novel sort of first published in 1989, kind of, uh, written or almost published in 1972, conceived of in the late sixties. Uh, it's kind of a mess in terms of, you know, what, how to think of how to classify this book's publication story. Uh, I don't really care that much about that other than to say it's a really interesting book and uh, I'm kind of glad I read it, but um, I I also don't fully understand it. <laughs> so who had read this before? I had not. I had read Roadside Picnic, but this is my first time reading The Dim City. Mm-hmm. I hadn't read it either. Brian? No, it's 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 new to me. I actually hadn't heard of it. Uh, I've read a bunch of other Strugatsky novels, and but uh, but this one's new. Yeah, um, I think it's because it had that weird late publication, um, uh, and I can't compare it to much. I I think I've read Roadside Picnic. I I, I watched the movie uh, Stalker, and like. I didn't get Stalker, and I'm like, "What's going on?" And well, that's now that's I get it. Yeah, wasn't this novel only recently translated to English as well? That might I be think so. Yeah, the audiobook is uh, from 2017 on Audible. Um, so yeah, it's probably like it's just way after, uh, and and the afterward is by Boris, I think, who was who lived a little longer than his, his brother did his older brother. Um, but, uh, I thought the introduction was really interesting too. Um, about how, what their relationship to Soviet, uh, science fiction was and, mm-hmm. and just literature in, I, I, in the Soviet yeah, Union I, in general. And I guess, yeah, Russia. I mean, that kept me, make me kept making you think of red plenty and it's like mm. life, life, under, very red life plenty. Under the yeah. Yeah, communism and having like the the hoops that they go through basically and trying to think about writing a book and how to write a book and mm-hmm. making sure it actually get published and coming up with this idea that they can't publish but then nearly gets lost. I mean I mean simple twist of fate, we wouldn't have this book. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of in that uh uh afterward too, which is talking about how if a book doesn't have a manuscript it doesn't exist right if it doesn't get read by readers it doesn't exist and how yeah when we think of philip k Dix, you know writing on a typewriter and he's got he's got uh his typewriter going and underneath that page where the letters are going there's a carbon copy and underneath that there's another piece of paper and maybe underneath that there's another carbon copy and then there's another piece of paper and that's all, that's the entire book. So if he sends it off and loses one copy, uh, he's still got the backup. But with the extra pressure of um, thinking you might get arrested or whatever for having written a book that uh, can frustrate people, 
I think uh, it changes things up. And I think that there's a lot of that going on in this book. But I actually don't think that that's very important ultimately to the book at all. I think it's it's uh, not really a science fiction novel as much as it is an existential novel. Because mm. a lot of the stuff in it is, is like, I was thinking Paul would really like to see a role-playing game made out of this setting. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> because it, well, yeah. I was thinking, I was thinking uh, maybe Marissa, there was this game. I think you were talking about, um, or maybe somebody was talking about where you're like a, a worker in a big uh, office building and things change on the fly in the building. And there's like vending machines that are possessed and stuff like that. Uh, control, right? That sounds right. Yeah. yeah. I've oh, seen that wasn't me, but I want to play this now. Oh, I think that's a game for you. Like a mind bending. Oh, yeah. You would love you would love control, Morris. Where you go down a path and then you turn your back and then turn back and then the whole place is changed, you know, like Oh yeah, that sounds like me. Uh, totally yeah. freaky freak your your shit out. Um so I was thinking a lot I was thinking it would make a really interesting video game like a single player. Because, you know, you're assigned a job as a garbage worker <laughs> sweeping the streets. And you could spend the whole game, like, just make it a time-limited game. Uh, or a session game so you can play as long as you want, but then your session's wiped out. Um, and you can just spend the whole game doing what uh, the bosses say and baboons show up. <laughs> and you deal with that. Or you could just like wander off into the north and uh, see what's going up there. Or you can like leave the city and go jump off the wall, uh, off the, the precipice and see what's down there. Right. And I think it would work great as like a, like a disco Elysium type game. Cause there's like so many yeah. like weird conversations and just chatting, like where you're just wandering around having like, strange philosophical conversations with people so that that disco elysium i just heard about that this morning on twitter i don't know what it oh. is what is it oh you'll dig it it's like a rpg but uh -huh. the skill tree instead of like you know doing your strength uh -huh. uh, or stamina you're they're all like basically cognitive ideas of your brain and you're okay. dealing with like uh, like intrusive thoughts and wow. weird psychology yeah and um yeah it's it's i think you're gonna love it actually Sounds I stressful. Like it's a real jc game i like i like it's games not like it's that. hilarious okay it's really funny is it's it a multiplayer Dicky funny no oh good good i i like multiplayer games but uh single player games are really kind of fun too so. yeah i'm playing it kind of straight right now like being the detective trying to actually solve the case but uh -huh. You can also play it like completely deranged and just take all the drugs and all the alcohol and uh, be a total idiot. So I might do that on the next round. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I assume that if you take all the drugs, it, it isn't like just uh, losing hit points sort of thing. No, I think you just develop a different personality and different relationships with people. Interesting. That sounds good. Uh, it's sort of a meta playing with the, with the, genre of rpgs That's yeah cool. i like that um well uh, did this book remind you of any books i know both uh, paul and uh brian were talking independently about dark city and i've i saw dark city yep. um but i was not reminded of it i mean i can see why you would make the connection but i was not reminded of it until you guys mentioned it 
So I, I want to, before we go down the dark path of the dark city, um, was, was, was this book reminding you of any other novels or stories or anything? Cause I, absolutely. Yeah. What were you thinking? Uh, okay. So, I mean, here we have, here we, so here we have a city that's in a not really defined place and time that people are brought to. Mm-hmm. We don't know when or where, but they, they remember their previous lives, but then, but then they get to the ending and he goes back to 1950s Leningrad and, and also the, the whole matter when he's talking about the beginning that the city is Leningrad, it's kind of, kind of obscure. So I was thinking of a number of things. I was thinking of Marie Brennan's Driftwood, which is about a city slash world where basically other realities are getting jammed into it and it, and things get squeezed towards the center and break out. So basically you have, you're living, you're living in a happy little fantasy kingdom. And then suddenly you find your fantasy kingdom has been cut off from the rest of the world. And now you're part of this other thing and you're being, your world gets shrunk as it gets squeezed towards the center. You get people from all over other realities having to deal with this and just live t- day to day. Mm. Um, I was thinking of Greg Bear's city at the end of time, because you're basically like, again, disembodied from time and space and kind of like dreamlike reality, which we get kind of here. I mean, like, like that weird building that shows up mm-hmm. and the, he, red, he, and the red building, the, the red building, the red building, our protagonist spends some of the novel trying to get into and try to figure out what that is. Um, it's very iconic. I think very iconic. <laughs> um, Cinnabar is another city at the end of time that I kept thinking of like this ruined wreck city. That's the only place in the world. Everything else is a ruin outside of it that people are basically trying to live day to day. And, um, and John Harrison's Viraconium, the same sort of idea, like Mm. the one last, that whole, that whole idea of the one last city and everything else is ruined and dross is a powerful one that this novel keeps kept telling in resonance with me over and over. And, and and um one uh, actually actually there's even more I, I could babble all day um so the whole idea of the experiment and this 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 being experiment by powers from on high for some other purpose that we do get a uh, Plato's Republic mentioned in this book um, and what what part are you thinking well well they they mentioned Plato's Republic the, and, yeah, yeah. And, and, itself. And and so I was thinking of Joe Walton's The Just City, which is basically right. Athena and Apollo decide we're going to make we're going to do make the Republic on this island and bring people from time and space to live in it, mm. including Socrates. So I could um, the whole weird, bizarre um, investigation that our protagonist goes through in part two makes makes me think of Stanislaw Lem's The Investigation. Mm. Um. You can also tie in things like Safe Oprah's Safe Farmer's River World. It's like is, is yeah, this place yeah, heaven? I thought a River World. Um or and, to and, our scattered bodies go. Or to our scattered bodies go. Yes, yeah. That's the actual name. Um let's see. Um we get that one that one weird scene where he's got the where he's where he's looking at the chessboard and people getting moved around on the chessboard and he's mm. thinking people a lot of internal thinking, stuff there. Right. I, I was thinking of of um John Brunner's Squares of the City, where you basically have two two people basically playing a, a chess game with people within that within the city of of the book and moving people around, including our protagonist. Um, what else? Um, oh, plenty more. Sorry, I'm going to keep babbling. Um, Charles Struss wrote a short story called Missile Gap, where basically 
everybody on the entire Earth finds himself finds finds the Earth basically a map of the Earth painted onto an Alderson disc, and the entire human population has been moved there. It's like no longer on Earth. You're on this weird thing. There's other planets. Basically, it's still painted on the desk as maps. Think, think like the Ringworld engineers. We had the maps on the basic ocean. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Mm-hmm. So basically, in Missile Gap, basically, we find that there are other planets painted around near there. We're all so, but you're basically trapped on this disc. You can't get off because of the of the gravity. Um, ICBMs no longer work because because of the gravity of the disc won't let them actually achieve orbit in any way. But you're trapped on the you're trapped on this disc. You don't know why. You don't know who did it, and what are you going to do? It actually feel, features um, Gagarin and uh, Carl Sagan in that book. Mm-hmm. Um, the Andrews remembrances of the siege of Leningrad, which we get when he's thinking about the horrible nature of the of the siege of Leningrad, made me think of um, the scenes of Winston Youth's Winston Smith's youth in 1984 and how he. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was really dark. I kept thinking, oh, God, it's like, oh, we're going to get – I kept thinking, oh, God, don't bring rats, don't bring rats, don't bring rats. <laughs> it's worse. Um, I was also thinking of another book we did, um, J.G. Bowers' The Drowned World, because mm-hmm. of the weird tricks of time and space, going back to the scene of the death and seeing time has passed differently because we get that time difference again. Mm-hmm. Um, whole crumbled nature of reality is going on a northward journey made me think of Felix Gilman's Half-Made World, which basically features an American West that gets less and less distinct and real as you further go West. Mm-hmm. As they were going North, I kept thinking of that, like reality seemed like unraveling as they're trying to head towards the North Pole. Um, and final, finally, a book that hasn't come out yet, but will by the, long since will by the time this, broad, this broadcast is Max Gladstone's Last Exit, which is a novel about a bunch of people who a couple of decades ago went into alternate realities, failed to make the change they want, but now are going to get back together to try to do it again. And you get, you get a wasteland and you get weird things going on. And finally, a finally the pyramid in this novel, that pyramid they, they reach in the end. I kept thinking of as an, in relation to Elsinore castle in the last, in last exit, basically that last place that they try to get to that last place where they might make a change to what's going on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I thought of lots of books. As well. Yeah, I, I wow, found it. Paul. I found it very <laughs> uh, inspiring. Yeah, no, connecting impressive. books. Yeah. Well, what about you, library. Marissa? Did you think? Of- uh, the only one I could add to that would be. I kept on thinking of um, Maze of Death. Oh, Philip K. Dick's oh yeah. Of the, the moving building and the people like as part of this kind of experiment and. Well, uh, I actually thought of a Philip K. Dick one too, but it was not that one. It was Solar Lottery, mm. uh, because in Solar Lottery, everybody gets their job by random appointment, right? Oh yeah, I didn't even think of that. And uh, I thought that that was very interesting, but uh, I also thought of that Southern Reach book. What's the first one called? Annihilation. Annihilation. That's the one. Yeah. Uh, obviously, wandering through the the Southern reach, uh, and seeing the weirdness that's going on there. Um, that's but... so crazy. I'm reading that at the exact same time. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Re- that's the new books I've been reading this week. Um, I, 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 I thought of the city and the stars by Arthur C. Clarke, which is set in, you know, this, uh, last city on earth sort of thing. 
uh, with mm-hmm. very strange people, not exactly reincarnated, but uh, amalgamated from various people, uh, right. sort of reconstituted. Another, um, another book listeners that we've done on the podcast. Yeah, and a book that is about art, which this book is about art too, I think. Um, but most of all, I thought of another Arthur C. Clarke story, um, one that I was like, okay, I better get down and process this and make sure uh, it's public, uh, find out if it's public domain. And uh, of course, I start the process and then I'm like, I better check my website, make sure I haven't done this already. And of course I had. It's called, it's called The Wall of Darkness. You guys know this story? I do not know this story. Uh, it's pretty terrific. You heard of it, Brian? Doesn't ring a bell offhand. Yeah. So this was first published in um, Soup for Science Stories, uh, July 1949. And uh, it's got some great Hans Bach illustrations. Um, mm. Mar- the way Marissa talks about... Um, Virgil Finlay is how I think about Hans Bach. <laughs> I love Hans Bach. Uh, I also love Virgil Finlay, but um, Hans they're Bach. Both I mean, they're amazing, right? And they're they're distinctive styles. Um, um, in the illustration for this story, uh, we have hero protagonist uh, standing near some steps, um, and uh, then there's a stairway um, which he is contemplating climbing and he's holding a mobius strip in his hand um and then here's the intro uh editorial introduction ages ago the first dynasty and that's capitalized had walled up half the planet and left no hint of their terrible reason only shervain dared to surmount that mile high barrier and learn the mind-shattering truth that lay beyond right it's all really fun um, and it's the story of a guy who he becomes an Elon Musk style character, but not to, um, not to, uh, get rich, but because he wanted to use that money to fund a stairway to see what's on top of the wall, to see over the wall and see why what half the world is, is, um, walled away from them. And, uh, turns out, uh, when he gets to the top, uh, he sees himself crossing over because he lives on a Mobius strip. Oh, it's that makes me think. Of, that makes awesome me think story. of a. I don't remember the name of the name name of the author, but um, it reminds me of an Omni story back in the 1980s called The Infinite Plane, where this guy. Oh, that in sounds a, good. It, it, I don't think it's ever been reprinted outside that magazine, unfortunately. So basically, this test pilot has is friends with this mathematician who talks about infinite planes and he took a class about well, how if you were falling towards an infinite plane you couldn't tell because the plane's so infinite you wouldn't have any perspective and so he winds up in a, he's in an airplane and air aircraft of uh, jet air um fighter <coughs> aircraft and he basically winds up falling towards an infinite plane somehow because of some explosion and he hits the plane he hits the plane suddenly because he couldn't tell any from cues that he was going to hit it as he's going as he's falling through and he's pushing through the plane, he can see on the other side a bolt coming up on the other side, mm. basically himself. And then he winds up breaking through and then he lands and winds up in a hospital. And he thinks, oh, maybe I imagined all that. And at the end, he finds that he's now his dominant hand has changed. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, actually, that, 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 a, it, there's another Arthur C. Clarke story that I believe is the same. 
No, we can't hear you typing. It's excellent, Brian. <laughs> um, there is another um, uh, story like that by Clark as well. Um, I believe it's Travel by Wire. Might not be, but um, that's mm-hmm. one of his first. Um, and it is about chirality. Um, and people go through this uh, portal and nothing seems to happen. But uh, he notices that everybody who was right-handed is now left-handed. And, of course, he notices it himself, too. Oh, no, he doesn't notice it himself. And everything's fine until he starts eating food and the food becomes poison. That shows up in uh, in the Neil Stevenson novel um, about the monastery that's based on the clock of the long now. Mm, that sounds familiar. Um, the uh, It's a plot point about 800 pages in. Um, but, um, people who have to bring their own food with them because they're from a, um, a parallel world and they cannot, they can eat our food, but the, it doesn't chemically interact with ours. Right. So they can't digest it. So they have to bring their own like left-handed food. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, yeah, you, the three of you, you're, you're really surprising me. I, I actually had no comparative thoughts at all when reading this book. Um, uh, I, other I, than I, to dark city, right? Well, you're asking about books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and and when I say Dark City, I have to you have to bring up as well, you know, Truman Show, um, you well, know, the sure. whole idea of an artificial world. Um, I I mm-hmm. I read this book in 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 different ways. I I really couldn't escape the the Soviet context, and and that played out in a few very different ways. And I can easily see why this wouldn't have been published. You know, why this yeah. would have been very very dangerous, even in the seventies. Um, he's making friends with Nazis. Nazis are just like us. Um, that's not acceptable. Uh, Well, no, um, I mean, I'm trying to get away from what Paris says at the end, you know, that this is the, the biography of Andre is the story of his life is like a lot of Soviets passing through the 1940s through the 1970s. You know, the, the heroic stage, you want to get this working and then things start falling apart and then you get a, mm-hmm. a kind of, um, uh, you know, the, the Brezhnev era is famous for stagnation. That's the word people always associate with right. it. And so it's it's hard not to see that with with Andre. I mean, he's he's really passionate at the beginning. He still he still wants there to be a communist order. He argues with people all the time about it. Um, then you know he, he rises into power, and then he becomes you know like uh, friendly with a with a Nazi. And uh, and at the end, you know the well, we could talk about the end in all kinds of ways. Um, but he really. Does he burst through this into thinking about? Does he follow Isya and the idea of art and culture being the greatest good? Um, yeah, that's the that temple, brings, right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's some of the most powerful writing. So in the book, good, I think. yeah. And then and then that also, but in the end, brings me back to the uh, the whole question of of Leningrad. Um, I mean, that's you know when you early on when you hear someone say, "Oh yeah, I was in Leningrad." Um, that's kind of like saying, you know, I, I was in Cambodia during the during Pol Pot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like saying, you know, I was in Waco with Koresh. Well, not exactly, but um, you know, and and then to circle all the way back to Leningrad at the end, that mm-hmm. just that just took my breath away. Um, I mean, because because you know, it depends on how you on how you count this, but the the siege of Leningrad in World War II was possibly the worst siege in human history. 
Uh, it's definitely the most lethal. Um, I mean, it's it. You start running out of words to talk about it uh, based on how horrible it is. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, it, the suffering of it was so bad that in the early 1950s, before his death, Stalin actually tried to. Uh, tamp down Leningrad's reputation as uh, as a hero city because he was afraid it would become a rival source of power to him. Um, and <laughs> and so yeah, yeah, Stalin was all about maintaining his power. So yeah, absolutely, yeah, in everything. And uh, and so that's and yeah, you know, Stalin shows up. I mean, one view, uh, one argument you could make is that in the Red House, and so that's mm. got to be the the Soviet. Uh, the Soviet uh, center, uh, you run to the great strategist. And that's one way people thought of, of Stalin. Um, so, you know, is he actually playing, is Andre playing chess with Stalin with human bodies? That That's pretty straightforward as an allegory, right? Mm. There. Oh, that, that reminds me, I can't remember the name of the story or the author, but it reminds <laughs> me of another Omni story. Oh, by right? the way, that one other one had, you're right, Paul, had never been reprinted. Um, its author was... Uh, Named Paul J. Nahin, who I'd never heard of. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I he he generally writes nonfiction because he's got he's got like a book about imaginary numbers and things. I think that's Math maybe his only guy, fiction. Probably yeah, yeah. But I remember another Omni story about about this Soviet peasant who makes this set of chessmen. One one of which looks like good good uh, Russian. Uh, communists you know workers with sickles and the other and the other half the black set looks like capitalists you know including workers in chains and but the thing is there's some some sort of weird sort of enchantment sort of thing on this so that whoever plays the the capitalists wins and this chess wally winds up in going to playing against stalin and they're Mm. playing and stalin gets checked and and then and and then Stalin says check, but not checkmate. And then he takes the pieces and throws them into a fire. Yeah, <laughs> that that scene in the red house or the red building, where he starts musing of how chess can be played. You know, uh, your chess can your your pawn can sit at the other side and do nothing, um, or the <laughs> you can say that it doesn't matter if your king is taken, like. This is um, 1984, right? That that's such a um, like the truth is whatever I tell you it is, um, and if that's the case, it's a metaphor for the whole book in a certain sense, right? You're, mm-hmm. I, I, and I was very intrigued. I, I was like, okay, where when are we going to see one of these interviews with an angel slash alien so that we can see for ourselves what the hell is actually going on? And the answer is never, right? We never find which that. Is, which is interesting, right? because Andre, he he resists that. I mean, he's he's a fascinating, deeply deeply flawed main character, um, and you know, he, he, people are trying to get him to figure things out, especially Izya, and he he just keeps resisting. And it, so he's he's an interesting kind of everyman character, mm-hmm. um, and you know, he does he never really talks to the mentor to figure out what the heck is is this about. Um, and, and he, he doesn't, he doesn't, he wants to leave the library right away. Mm. Uh, he doesn't want to go into it like Itzia and, uh, and Peck. Um, it's, I mean, so that's, that was very, I mean, it's frustrating, but it's, it's, it's one of those cases where in a sense, the, the, the focus on this person as an emblem of, of 
a larger number of people is more important than trying to pick out, you know, is it aliens or, mm-hmm. or time travel? Yeah, that's why it's existential. Like not answering mm-hmm. that stuff, it's it's basically saying this is us on Earth here. <laughs> no, all of us well, are that's... placed in a randomocracy. We don't know who, you know, we didn't choose how or why we're here. We're told what the rules are now. Here come some baboons. <laughs> I'm like, okay, guess we're dealing with this now. Shouldn't somebody be in charge? Shouldn't everybody know why this is happening? No. It's just well, let, happening. Let, let, let me ask you this. I, one, one thing that kept striking me, though, is that um, it was deliberately not uh, Soviet in in the ethnography of the population mm-hmm. because you've you've got um, Koreans, you have Germans, you have um, Swedes, yeah, yeah, and and even we have our, our American who has a cowboy hat that mm-hmm. just made me happy. Right? <laughs> um, I mean, so I'm, I'm I'm and they're and they're from all over the 20th century too. Yeah, that's that's a little you know I wanted to hear more about that. How yeah. You know, Andre just like oh, Stalin's still alive for me. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious what you guys all think about that. Why why have that that time that open time, and then uh, and why have it be so global? I mean, why this this seem is this about more than the Soviet Union? Is this about humanity as a whole? Uh, yeah, I think that's the existential uh, uh, element. But go yeah, for it, Paul. I, I think I think so because I mean, otherwise, why include a Nazi? I mean, if if you're, if you're, if you're not trying to say this is something greater than Soviets, I mean, we get we get Nazis, we get Americans, we get every. I mean, I get the sense we get everybody is here. Why they're here? I mean, that's kind of is left deliberately vague as to why and how people get to go there. I mean, it seems voluntary that people choose to go there. Like, how does that actually work? We're told but, that it's. It's voluntary, right? We're told it's voluntary, but some people but say really. you died there, bud. Right? Yeah, so so there's definitely a, almost a mystical element to that. So I think I think they're trying to go for something. Yes, it is about the Soviet Union, but it's also more than the Soviet. It's like t- trying to transcend the their story about the Soviet Union to basically all of humanity. Basically, mm. I think you're right, Paul. I think it's like because they're it's like what they experienced like the human nature coming through under the ideas of the Soviet Union that they're criticizing. But, and I think it's also partly as a way to like kind of camouflage it a little bit as Mm -hmm. a criticism of the Soviet Union as well. Yeah. If you can throw in Nazis and Americans, like you're not really talking about the Soviet Union, you're talking about all people. Well, one of of the ideas of, of the Soviets uh, is that um, eventually everybody will become communist, right? That we'll all live. One of the big problems of the world is that not everybody sees the enlightened view of life under communism. And thus well, we need to uh, compete, continue the program. Well, that you can, you can even see that in the name. Um, mm. it's, uh, the USSR is one of the few national names that uh, doesn't have any geography in it. Right. Yep. Um, you know, you know, Soviet socialist republics. That's yeah, there's no America not, in there, right? It's right. not Asia. It's not, mm. it's yeah, not it the Pan Caribbean or NATO. <laughs> no, no, it's good branding. It's good branding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing is, is that it is aspirational, right? Um, in a sense, it, we're not, things are imperfect because, um, the experiment has not, been complete and there will be rough patches but if you have faith um and you continue like 
what's what one of the things that's striking to me is when we find out that like people have families i'm like okay that's possible and then when we find out they have kids and i'm like there are no kids in this city we never see yeah. anything from a point of view of a kid right people who are born in the city and grow up there it's not the focus of the book at all but it is a fact that's mentioned in the book mm-hmm. um and then we start thinking about some of the details like um you can go from being a garbage collector to a policeman to the mayor to the president to uh you know a leader of an expedition and your qualifications are either you're appointed to it because there's a strong man in charge now or you're randomly picked by lot and i was like okay what about the doctors too <laughs> like no, your, but, but, your but, lawyer but, but, your lawyer is is uh a guy who used to you know be in the army that seems like it won't work but, but there is a doctor there's no scene with a doctor and the whole fact that he, that he's no longer a doctor and it seems ridiculous because that's what he was actually trained as if right going, but if your doctor used to be a bricklayer and he never had any medical training that doesn't seem like that'll work right so no wonder there's the experiment is somewhat failing. Don't say it, but yes, <laughs> just have so faith, comrade. The experiment can't fail; it can only be failed. Right? Mm-mm. Yeah, yeah. The experiment is the experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. But, mm-hmm. but it can be out of control. So you know, they 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 lose they lose it in the rebellion, and and we get our um, our uh, German efficiency taking mm. it over. Um, I, I think that the, the switching of, of jobs is fascinating. That's, that's is. A, a, a utopian thing. Um, it's kind of a classic utopian thing. If you can control a society, uh, what would you like to do? And this is partly what brought up Dark City for me. It's mm-hmm. just that you know, Dark City every night uh, rearranges uh, people's lives like that. And uh, that reminds me of the Borges story, the lottery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lottery where, where in Babylon? The lottery in Babylon, Babylon. Yeah, yeah, where people's yeah. positions and, and stuff are changed by random yeah. lot. It's public domain, And all domain, those changes the impact everybody else. Um, they, they all impact everybody else. So, you know, um, uh, Andre gets elevated to uh, uh, be counselor, and then that gives him power to help other people. And yet he's still terrified of uh, – what's his name? Is it Homer, the, the German who beat him up, mm-hmm. uh, even though he's in a different job? Um, so, I mean, that's – and, and, and then there's and then there's the guy that got to a high position, but he doesn't want it. He wants to go back to being basically a, a gardener. Yeah. yeah, that's a cool character. Uh, I think yeah. that that's actually a really interesting point in want, the book, and there's a lot of focus on it at the time. Uh, but I think that focus is it's a it's a response to reality, right? So uh, if you if you have hopes, then your hopes can be dashed. But if you cannot fall any further. Then everything is anything that happens that is is good is gravy, and this yeah, it's kind of like a stoic sort of philosophy. It is very much yeah. And when you when when you are living in a prison, right, um, where there there are a set of rules and you have no autonomy over what you can choose to do, one of the things you can do is choose not to be upset by it. Mm-hmm. Right, just to know that it's going to happen, and then anything that you know, oh, um, there's a little piece of food on the floor there that somebody didn't notice. That's not that's in my mouth. Yay! 
<laughs> it's like, <laughs> wow, wow, that's pretty bad. And of course, he's willing to suffer the consequence of being sent to the swamps. Um, and that stuff, about- which is basically the gulag or re-education camp. Yes, um, kind of not not really though, because the um, uh, in a sense you could think of it as environmentally extreme um, because people keep talking about the swamps, and yet it's it's actually depicted as very very pleasant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah, I- a- go ahead, please. No, no, sorry, Brian, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, it's it, it's it's okay. I, that, I, I was just going to. I mean, you know, you you can't say. Especially when you think about uh, you know the truly the truly horrific conditions of of uh, the gulag, especially in the fifties, um, that's not something that uh, uh, you'd want to wish on anybody. But but it's it seems more like the classic town gown. I'm sorry, uh, city country divide. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we get we get that with the farmers, which right, get, and and then their and their struggles, which made me think of the 1930s and the Soviet Union and. What they mm-hmm. did with the farmers in the Ukraine, the Holodomor. Oh, yeah. dude, it was the it was the truckers this week, and last week, and the week before, right? Coming to the city in a convoy, and I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> it was so uh, interesting because what are the the one of these guys, these farmers, has a machine gun. Like, yep. we need that machine gun. He's not gun. supposed to have a gun, but he has a gun. We yeah. have, uh, well, all the farmers have guns, right? But uh, this, we need that machine gun to get rid of the baboons. It's like, oh, or we could go with the other system, which is we give them all colors and numbers, and now you're you're going to have to adopt a baboon or two. <laughs> this adopt, is the way of, so, like, this is, uh, this is like policies made in extremists, right? <laughs> Hoping to solve problems by, okay, um, this sort of, I think there's like during, I think it was World War II, they have um, like German prisoners or something in Australia. Um, or I'm pretty sure it was German. It happened in Canada too. Where they, ha- they have these prisoners and they just don't have the facility to house them. So they just lodge them with farmers in the countryside and say, this guy works for you now. Um, and like, don't let him leave the house or the farm too much because <laughs> <laughs> he's sort of trapped on the continent and yeah, they can run away. And then, it, but th- this is also what the Nazis did, right? They did this with people, except we call that slavery when they take a bunch of French citizens and send them off to work in some horrible munitions factory, uh, for no pay and, you know, starving food wages and, and, and so, yeah, when you're sort of strapped for uh, luxuries and food and housing, you make all sorts of crazy sounding like, and this is normal in wartime, you know, you send your troops not to live in barracks, but to be housed in the local population. That reminds me of a certain amendment to the Constitution. Which one? The third, I believe. You can't quarter people in houses without the consent. Mm. Indeed, that was a uh, a standard activity. That, that, right? that, yeah, that was that that, well, yeah, that was one of the things that uh it's a, a, me- that, measures that were, for saving yeah, money. Yeah, amendment 3, no shoulder no soldier shall in time of peace be quartered in any house without the consent of the owner nor in time of war but in a, but in a, a non-controversial one. Nobody cares about this one anymore, right? Not, not under current conditions, no. But at the, the time, the first and the fourth, everybody's about the second, third one. 
nobody cares about that one because well, it's been like- so ultimately solved by just having barracks. But if you ha- if you think of these these p- the baboons, the baboon invasion as being like a military force suddenly showing up and needing housing and eating everything and fucking around in the streets, uh, yeah. It, it kind of works. That's it, this whole book is like that. It's like um, it's a metaphor for something, right? Everything's a metaphor for something, and then we have these scenes where we get long internal dialogues where he's thinking about what what is going, what he should do. Well, the the like the whole expedition part of the book is like reminded me a bit of that Dan Simmons novel. Um, that uh it's a uh arctic expedition where they they get the their, terror the terror yeah where they get their ship trapped in ice and then hike south and they just they're eating you know leaded leaded uh meat and going insane <laughs> i was yeah, like is he awful in expedition parts mm-hmm. he it did seem like he was going insane at times right yes. like some of the yeah the inner monologues i was I kept on thinking that I could miss something. Oh, yeah. There was some weird stuff. Like, did they ever actually go to this Crystal Palace? Is it a... They do, but it, it's, it's, they, they skip over it and only describe it in flashbacks. It's so okay. strange. It's, it's just like the way the, the angels, aliens are handled, right? So we get this, like, endless plane that they're traveling through, and there's, like, some monsters out there, and they fire at them. And then it's, uh, the, the other, book that is slightly reminded me of especially but i had a premonition of it before um when they see the giant uh the soldier sees the giant statue what we find out is a statue moving around i'm obviously super metaphor right (laughs) see all these stalin and lenin statues all over the place and and you grow up in this society it's like that guy apparently knew something is important i need to uh watch out for him (laughs) meanwhile he's stalking the streets at night right um, so there, there's a terrific, uh, William Hope Hodgson novel. Maybe Brian, you were on that show. Um, uh, set at the death of the, <laughs> the heat death of the solar system, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that is, I want to say the house on the borderline, but that's not it. Um, no, no, no. It, get, it gets cut down to dream of X. Um, right. Um, in any case, this, this novel has a, a pyramid. Um, in which, uh, the, the last, nightland. the nightland. Yeah, that's right. Um, in which, uh, the last city, uh, gets its power from the residual and fading, uh, geothermal energy. The sun basically is just a, like, like a small candle in space. And, uh, there's another city somewhere off, an anti city somewhere off, um, which our hero goes out to save a girl from because they get a wireless transmission uh, back when wireless was just coming in. Um, and uh, he's like, he's basically a knight um, with no horse, but he has a weapon, which is uh, basically a chainsaw, except it's a, oh, a spinning disc. And in his journeys across this uh, horror landscape, um, he encounters these statues that are actually moving. It's just they move at incredibly slow rates. So one millimeter a year, it's almost like a, uh, a, a geological force 
um, and they are converging and they have a plan, but we are not privy to it. His book is fucking insane. It's like so weird and it's all romance and it's written as a dream kind of, uh, or premonition by a 17th century gentleman, uh, who has, uh, uh is like uh, his own romantic things going on. Oh, it's a crazy book. Yeah. yeah. And it reminded me a little bit of this, but this is way more existential and talky. Whereas that one is just presents itself as a uh, sort of a classical romance in this insane sentence setting. But yeah, it, 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 there is meaning in images, right? There's meaning in these uh, events, but we are not privy to it. The Strugatsky's Yeah, that's kind of fascinating. Like the with the mentors and the Crystal Palace, like the stuff that is not there is kind of interesting as well. And yeah. Note note the the most important guy in the um, I want to say convoy. That's not a convoy. In the expedition is the guy who issues the toilet paper. And what what is the toilet paper? It seems to be uh, like important notes. Writing yeah. <laughs> material, yeah. <laughs> but it's not it, art exactly. It's more like committee meeting <laughs> minutes or something like that. Yeah, that he's he's my favorite character. That is, yeah, so fun to read. Yeah, like I think it was perfect how he's described at the end or something as like a um like a curious puppy that's just running around looking mm. everything. Mm. <laughs> He's playing the game in his way. Yeah, and just giggling at everything and driving everyone crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's 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 odd. I, I found some reviews of the book which um, mm. charged it with anti-Semitism. Oh yeah. I, I don't I don't think that's true, and I'm I'm happy to be talked out of it if I'm if I'm wrong. In part because uh, the Strugatskys were part Jewish, um, but also because I think Izzy is not only the most entertaining character. But he gets the he gets the last word. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he describes the uh, um, the uh, uh, purpose of humanity, and Andre basically can't do anything with it. He's like, oh, I I don't get it. Uh, and 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 Izzy just kind of and and Izzy points out that he wins every single argument they have. Um, so he's the brains of the operation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he's described at one point as being like physically Jewish, which really got my hackles up when i saw that but um but also he, he the, there's an interesting article in the la review of books where uh the reviewer argues that uh half of the book is an engagement with judaism and that's what the temple is about mm. uh, partly because they think of the role of the temple um in judaism but also the sense of um jewish people as a minority in other countries um living at times horribly uh and yet producing a culture uh, at an incredibly high pitch um, and respecting the intellect way beyond uh, what a lot of other people would do. They're the people uh, of the book. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The review said there were two cities here, um, uh, Jerusalem and Moscow. And so <laughs> that's the, the Jerusalem part, um, which, which I found interesting. Yeah, I, that's I, an I interesting just, take. I, I saw some crazy reviews, uh, and one of, one of them, you know, you can see why they would say it. It was um, for misogyny because of the, the I want to say slattern. What did they call her? The uh, skank, skank, skank. Yeah. right? Yeah. I wonder about well, these translation, the specific translations. Some of the lines were like, "That doesn't sound like a, a Soviet style phrase." It was much more, I don't know, American. 
But yeah. skank, that, that was an interesting word choice. That was definitely a thing. Like, like all the women in this are just sluts and just constantly called whiny sluts, basically, like all the way through. Well, there are almost all are no women, right? It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's very they only absent. show up to like, just to be like wank rags for the guys. Basically. Oh, Basically, there is a a scene where a guy go, is going on and on about what it, what it is the udders or something, right? Uh, in yeah. I guess that's in the police station, and it's like um, he's trying to do his job, and he's just like, I don't have that file, and that bureau the bureaucracy aspect of it is we're all here placed on this earth, and we don't know everybody's backstory, uh, but you gotta you know. Uh, get to know some of these people and others like, how, how could you? So the fact that we don't have a, a woman's perspective on any, like we never hear anybody's woman's perspective, any woman's perspective of how, like how they got there or how they're dealing with this. Why they went there is and what are they doing? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, I think the basic pass on this is it's just hell, right? They're in hell. And the, the problem with that is. It's like my my thing is like well yeah that's Earth Earth is hell right you're born here you don't you didn't ask to be here it's uh, your your body is capable of receiving a lot of pain um, everything's trying to kill you if you want to stay alive you have to kill other things even if they're uh, not animals you still have to kill um, and that you know plants don't like being chopped down I've <laughs> Right. So, um, what are we, what are we to do? Well, what's the repeated phrase? The experiment is the experiment. And, and like, who set up these rules? We're mad at God. Ah, it's the devil. No, it's the devil. No, it's God. Right. And there's so, a good line where uh, they're they're talking about problems that humanity poses for itself, mm-hmm. and uh, and one says, "Well, hunger isn't the problem that humanity poses for itself. We just don't have enough food." I mean, right. I, um, I, I the the role of women really really bothered me. Especially, I mean, I mean, partly because we have our our Swedish friend who really loves Andre, uh, and ends up becoming married to him, and then he he cheats on her with his secretary, who mm-hmm. apparently is really devoted to him and sticks with him. And then we've got the the military skank, um, and so I I was trying to figure who out they pick this. up somehow, right? Like she's yeah. she's out in the countryside. This is like it's uh, uh, everything that's elided, the things that are avoided. Those are the things we should be paying most attention to. I feel. Yeah, because that girl just seemed like she was just a captive, like the a young yeah. native girl that they picked up. And she just lived yeah, and I- gang raped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and yeah that 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 uh, was a whole other initial set of questions we don't get answered or even talked about. Like, I mean, they talk about fighting, fighting things, and I think people as they're going north, it's like, okay, so where did these people come from? Would they come from previous iterations of the city? Were they born there? What's what's the deal? And we're not ever told. It's left, it's left incomplete. Like like um, the city itself, it's left incomplete. We do see that, like, Andre at one point thinks about going downstairs um, to also sleep with her. And I think that's, like, showing his corruption. Like, he just seems mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. getting worse and worse and more corrupted. And then eventually yeah. it's yeah, thinking I, about I, doing I, this I, awful thing. I think, I think this is, like, almost like a some bits of story. You were mentioning before, Brian, about this being uh, Strugowski's story going from – 
World War II through into the seventies. It feels like a story of disillusionment with definitely. It's it's mm-hmm. instead of, instead of being the disillusionment with the Soviet project, it's disillusionment with the experiment and why he's there in the first place, and basically going from garbage collector to despotic leader of a of a doomed exposition and just almost like a like like a Ahab character is continually marching on even after his uh his group has basically killed themselves or left and he's just he's just left with one person and up oh, we're gonna keep going on we're not gonna turn around we're just gonna keep going on it's 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 a it's very Colonel Kurtz it, it, there's there's Colonel Kurtz and then there's also if I can go back to film again uh Aguirre of the Wrath of God mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I, I I think it's important that the book begins with shit. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, I mean, it's not just garbage. I mean, it emphasizes human feces and the end of the book returns to that because the, uh, um, <laughs> uh, diarrhea, uh, yep. possibly dysentery is what's that's so, there's yeah. so many like reflected things like that. Like, mm-hmm. um, we were just talking about the girls, like, uh, Selma, the Swedish girl at the start, she kept, he keeps on talking about her legs, her, cl- yes. her, her beautiful white pristine legs. That seems to be like the thing, like rather than her boobs or ass or whatever mm-hmm. another author would talk about yeah and then the native girl at the end he's just obsessed with how dirty her legs are all the time and she's mm-hmm. covered in like scabs and bruises and weird marks and stuff they're all they're all covered in these abscesses and it's yeah it's like they're they are physically degenerating their their will is breaking mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's it, it's the absence of of anything that is killing them, right? It's uh, the, the landscape is basically blank, right? And we just got to keep going. To the experiment is the experiment. So it's it's the same theme, theme, theme over and over and over again. And it is invites. That's why I like uh, Paul's massive list of things that are reminded of. Is like, um, <laughs> it's because it allows for deep reflection. There's this uh, <laughs> the one first one that stood out to me on Goodreads. Um, Lena rated it one star. Listen to this. Depressing, surreal social criticism that pretends to be sci-fi. Um, and I, I think it is not science fiction exactly, but, you know, it's obviously working with it. But then the parody on communism and Soviet propaganda is quite obvious. <laughs> All true. But the story also takes deeper study of human society and nature. One star for misogyny, disgusting realism, and unnecessary cruelty. Um... <laughs> that that's the part I think where this reader has gone wrong. And then she continues, moreover, authors didn't give any explanation of the world building nor uncover any plot mysteries. So she's not wrong about any of the things that she's seeing in this book. Right. I, although I wouldn't say parody is exactly what it is. It's, it's something, right. It's a funhouse mirror. Uh, well, it's or, or, or just through a mirror, through a mirror darkly. Yeah, satire, I guess. Except satire makes it sound like it's fun, <laughs> and parody also kind of makes it sound like it's fun. Um, it is, it is a dark reflection for sure, but it's also showing us truths. So yeah, it feels like a much more like painful exploration of those ideas rather than a fun. Boris and Arcady are not being misogynistic. They have misogynistic characters. In yeah. a misogynistic world, uh, the disgusting realism and unnecessary cruelty, who's to blame for that? It's not me, yeah. <laughs> right? I well, mean, I, I, I could do that stuff, but I, it's I already in the world. 
this could have been a lot more cruel. Oh um, yeah, a lot of this happens uh, off stage, like when the um, uh, when the coup happens uh, or the revolution. What what does it called? The turning point. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's uh, Andre, our point of view character, just keeps fading in and out and and misses a lot of it, and they they just sees the results. Um, you know the. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, the emphasis on on uh, diarrhea and dysentery it just, it just makes sense. I mean, that's not. Uh, I don't think it's gratuitous, but I think I think beginning um, beginning with that is is very very daring. Um, it's it's a way of, of grounding you, of telling you this is where things start in the gutter, um, and they're also pretty bad at garbage collecting. They 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 knock over their cans. Mm-hmm. They have arguments. They're all unhappy. Um, I mean, it's in a sense they're saying the, the world. It's literally sh- a shit job. Yeah, exactly. And the well, world is in the it center. is, it is, but it's also simple, right? Mm-hmm. The job is available for you to see. You scrape this stuff off, right? And I, I, I agree that the opening was just terrific. Uh, I've got, I've got this from the this from the Russian translation into English using Google Docs. Or Google uh, Translate. The tanks were rusty. <laughs> Not the bins. The tanks were rusty, dented, and their lids were loose. From under torn pieces of newspaper stuck out of the lids, potato husks hanging hung, hung down. It was like <coughs> the mouth of an unkempt, indiscriminate food pelican. <laughs> like, yeah, it is like the mouth of an indiscriminate, <laughs> an unkempt, indiscriminate food pelican. And who put those scraps of food in there i like that the people of the city and it's their job to clean it up and so when we get to like each successive job we have him as a cop right he seems competent and wanting to you know fix things up and what you feel he gets buried all the time oh oh, you haven't closed enough cases and this other guy closed all these cases and what are you doing and so it's like but he hunts <laughs> hunts it down, and we we see like oh we're getting progress right, and then there's all these coincidences like the guy keeps coming in to interrupt, and it's like you're looking for the red building, it's down the street, and they rush over there, and as they're rushing over there, I'm like it's going to be gone when they get there, right? Didn't didn't you all expect that? Andre, yeah. uh, Andre is pretty incompetent. Um, I mean, throughout, I mean, he he kind of screws up everything he does. Um, I, I was he's in his own head. He's yeah, that's and he doesn't want to understand. Um, I mean, one one thing to think of at the end, and I, I'm still haunted by the end in many ways, is the um, uh, the in the temple speech. Um, mm. All the examples that uh, Il, um, Isya gives of the of the temple are all humanities, um, you know, melodies, books, poems. Mm-hmm. Um, but our, our hero, Andre, is a scientist. Uh, I mean, he's an astronomer, which right. tends out barely to matter at all. Um, In a sky that has one star right. and which doesn't move. So right? it goes on. Uh, like, so th- th- that's the other story that I, I was like, oh, this is, um, this is, uh, Theodore Sturgeon's, um, microcosmic god. But told from the point of view of the the neoterics inside the tank, right? Where the this and this is also seen in Sand Kings, but from you know mm-hmm. the outside yeah. point of view. 
but this idea of a cruel god that is performing an experiment and is neglectful. And these creatures down within are thinking like, well, you know, maybe he's doing it all for the best. The reason we're in this tank is because, nope, <laughs> it's just neglect. Well, it's, it's, I want to, I want to come back to the mentors in a second. Um, but I do want to just put in a plug here for a possible two cultures read. Okay. Um, that, uh, it's the humanities versus the sciences. Mm-hmm. Um, in which case this might not be work of science fiction per se, but more a fantasy, but, um, but I, the, the mentors, um, also make you think this could be fantasy because the, we have the mute person who turns out to be a mentor at the end. Um, and, and the thing that they say, um, when he gets reborn in Leningrad is he does let you pass the first test. Mm. There'll be many more circles. Circles. Right? Yep. Circles of hell. Well, which makes it like circles of hell. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And, and that, that's why I, I, yeah, I mean that, that, and so you've had your first circle. Well, now we're going to go to the second one, uh, which again, by the way, makes sense for, um, having the emphasis on fecal matter because Dante isn't shy about that mm-hmm. uh, either. Um, so, I mean, is this all, is this all an eschatology? Is this all, you know, humans, uh, in the afterlife trying to survive and, and grow, um, and develop? Um, I mean, Andre, I'm not sure if he does develop because at the end, the one thing he does is he manages to blast away at somebody who is either Izzy or himself. Mm. Uh, I mean, is, is, do we have to start the whole thing over again to give mm. Andre another shot? Uh, one of the lines that are scenes, I guess, that's so striking is when one guy's going on uh, about how there's no art in this city. There's all these shitty pulp magazines <laughs> with yeah. no, no yeah. good writers. And it's, we've been here for t- decades and nothing. We've got no Tolstoys. We've got no, no great writers, no great poets. Everything's shit. Um, this is, uh, you know, a, uh, often a complaint, but it's that, they're not here, and that's important because in the real world, the outer world where we all came from, these things were always in development. You could always find them. And that is a commentary on, uh, you know, maybe life under the Soviet system where you can't write whatever you want. But it is also a commentary about the book itself that we're reading. It's a very meta book in a certain sense because it's saying um, it's hard to write <laughs> good art uh, are we writing good art i think we're writing good art um but uh whenever you got a book review inside a book i think that it's a meta commentary on the book itself because it it applies it's like yeah, when you're watching it, a movie and they're making a movie it's a or you're yeah, watching every, uh robocop and they show you television it's always every a, medium every yes. medium comments on itself yes books always talk to books um and, and so it's unsurprising that this is the case but it it is interesting it's a it's a condemnation of the society yes. especially at the moment where our our german friend has you know has solved all the problems and made everything happy and Isia says well what you're going to get is the 1960s you know you're, you're going to get drug addiction you're going to get uh, what was it abundance riots and don't even let right. me get started on the hippies right uh, but there's there's no art, so in, in a sense, this is condemning. You know, we think of the Soviet side this is condemning Soviet art, uh, Soviet culture uh, as sterile. Um, but also, you know, here uh, or Nazi art, if you want to take that uh, that side. Um, but they they never managed to solve that problem. No. Uh, but you know, by the end, they uh, uh, you know, Izzy tries to find uh, records and archives, but Andre trashes them. 
Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. Like that seems to be why as well that Andre never does get this understanding because when you're reading it at the start of the book, you've got this character, like I don't understand anything. And you're like, your expectation is that this is going to be a story about our protagonist who goes on, you know, he's the hero of the story and he's mm-hmm. going to find understanding. He's but, going to go on an expedition that will reveal the truth about their world. Yeah. But he has yeah. no art. He, he's got no way to understand anything. And he just kind of gets worse. And like, we get that over <laughs> and over again, right? So the red, if he mm-hmm. can get inside the red building, if he can get, find out the truth of the red building, all will be revealed. Nope. you go on this journey um and find out what's going on over there no um but we do get hints and we get the sense that the authors know what they're doing that they planned it all out that there there are things that explain why baboons suddenly show up but it's it's the same thing with like roadside picnic right uh it had the had the movie been called Roadside Picnic, I would have understood the movie a lot better, because they never have a roadside picnic, right? No, it's it's it, no, no, it's it's very very different. The characters. Did something he, he did something very different. Um, you know, like kind of like the way Blade Runner is a sure. very different one. Um, yeah. But I I I I think in 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 many ways this. Well, if we go back to the um, the baboons. Um, I, I think this leads us to a kind of Swiftian um, misanthropy view, um, you know, where uh, the baboons take over and humans are basically the equivalent. Um, you know, I, I, w- I was reading an interesting uh, um, theme in American uh, conservative literature, which is to talk about apes and monkeys as a critique of Darwin. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I, in the Soviet setting, I think it's just to show humans as being this animalistic, that bestial. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these are the ones that throw feces after all, right? right. And they just always see them doing. And they're fuck casually fuck. fucking in the streets. Yeah, uh, yeah, and we see them at the end called monkeys as well, right? When the soldiers mm-hmm. are just like fighting with each other and scrapping in the streets, like the baboons were at the start. Yep, exactly, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's an incredibly dark view. Um, but again, if we're in hell, that makes sense. And aren't we? <laughs> Question mark. Jesse asked. Or are we in a fish tank? Yeah, to quote Marlowe, this is hell, nor are we out of it. Right. Um, and I, I so I, I'm, again, the, the ending for this really does seem decisive. Um, and again, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a weird point of view to raise all of our science fiction and fantasy hopes in understanding a world, but to keep having characters who resolutely refuse to understand it. It, uh, so I was saying it was not a science fiction book. What I mean is to say it, it, it is a meta science fiction book, right? It is not a, I don't think it's a fantasy because I don't think it follows the rules of a fantasy very well. Um, what I do in the same way that I would say that story I was mentioning, the wall of darkness, it's a science fiction story, but it feels like it's fantastic because it's not an, in the same way that, uh, you know, exhalation by Ted Chang it's a science fiction, but you, it, it's not set in our universe, right? It's set somewhere else. Whereas this one is, I mean, explicitly called out in this book, it, not just Plato's, uh, Republic, more importantly, H.G. Wells and the War of the Worlds. And you're given it as a little kid and didn't want to read it. You wanted to read your crappy pulp science fiction magazines or, or your 
uh, crappy adventure stories is what it was, right? And and then later you became obsessed with it. It's like, ah, right? Later you saw that the strivings of of a story like The War of the Worlds is to put us in our place, right? To say, this is what you really are and you're not seeing it. And the only thing that can do that is to have yourself humbled. And that's what happens in this book. We are humbled in his humbling and the other characters being humbled and their different reactions to it are allowing a mimetic sense for us to have different reactions to what would we do if we were placed in this very strange RPG? <laughs> mm, I would do my best to try and survive and see what's around the next corner. And they do that. And it turns out there's more shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll just be off with Isia. <laughs> I want to go to the, I want to go in that crystal palace and, and, uh, and worship at the temple, but that is not to be. Oh, by the way, I found I found the name of the author of the Chessman story I told about before. It's William G. Shepard. Okay, that's a, it was another Omni. Omni. Yeah, Omni. Yeah, it was Omni story. Omni was a good magazine. Yeah, I, I mean, it was one. It was basically the first science fiction magazine I read. My mom had a subscription to it. So, oh, good for your brother, mom. My yeah, bro, my, yeah, my brother had a subscription, so I read that all and Discovery shows. and Popular Mechanics and Popular Science. I mean, I mean the, the, the magazine for the period. This piece well, of art is pretty, pretty neat. So let's let, let me go back to the temple. Um, is is he right? I mean, is that the best that we can hope for? That uh, a minority makes the temple work, adds to the temple, maintains the temple, uh, grows the temple. That the majority just don't care, but the temple's contents reflect the majority. Um, and that the majority will try to destroy the temple at times, but the temple persists through the works of the, of the minority, and that that's in many ways the best that uh, humanity can hope for. And to participate in keeping the temple going is a great uh, way of life. Is is that right? Yes. Does, does that sound convincing? Uh, yeah. I, I was doing that last night. I was uh, going through six months of a magazine and looking at all the stories and poems in it and saying, ooh, this one yeah. looks good. And then I yeah. I diligently cleaned them up and I put them up on the server. And next week they'll be up on the website and nobody's going to look at them. <laughs> and then I'm going to send one to a friend in Australia and say, my God, you must read this one. And he goes, oh, maybe. <laughs> right? oh, and yeah. maybe he does. I was thinking about Jesse when I was reading that too, like what you like that you're like the little builder like polishing and helping make sure the little pieces get like fitted onto the temple. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not like putting my own, I like, I write stories and I put them up on Twitter, but I don't like mix in my own stuff with these works. Right. That's somebody else's job. If they, if somebody says, you know, that, that little fairy tale you wrote, Jesse is really good. And I'm like, I agree with you, but it's not my job to put my statue up in the temple. My job yeah. is to polish the temple steps and point people in the right direction to find the right book inside the temple. If they come by, maybe call them in from the street and say, come on in. It's really great in here. Right. No donation right. needed. And then they walk by and spit on me. I love that. Um, they're not going to spit on you. <laughs> spit on you. Whatever. I, I love the, um, the analogy that he made to like a coral reef where yes. it's like – where everyone is like building this coral reef that is growing from all of our art and literature yeah. and 
all the yeah. pieces. And so I guess if you're not creating the little pieces of coral, Jesse, I guess you're like one of the fish hmm. that live in that ecosystem and you're like cleaning and adding little <laughs> pebbles to it. I yeah, I'm hiding in one of those uh, little niches somewhere. Yeah, hoping yeah. the squid doesn't eat me. <laughs> Jesse the clownfish. Ouch! But I love how it said like every speck matters as well. Like even oh, if yeah. you're not like doing the big pieces, like Hemingway or something. Yes. You're, there's all these little specks that are like collecting to the coral. I agree. And uh, and the specks are are um, horrible people. He mentions uh, mm-hmm. uh, Hemingway being a drunk. He, oh which yeah. Is, Pedophile was listed. Um, Was it the guy who wrote the Lolita book? Uh, No, Um, and uh, and Dostoevsky being an extreme right winger, which is true. Mm -hmm. Um, The uh, uh, so the 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 temple is is flawed, um, or the temple uh, temple creators are flawed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, The canon contains shit, but it also has beauty within the shit. And you can think of all the stories that we know of of creators who turned out to be uh, horrible. Uh, and you can think of, of whatever whatever the politics is now, if you want to call it cancel culture or whatever, of you know finding the one tweet from a writer that you know that is uh, that is terrible. Um, but I think I think Izia would agree with all that, mm-hmm. and that's. Uh, um, Oh, he mentions, uh, let's see, the thief and scoundrel, Benvenuto Cellini, the hopeless drunk, Hemingway, the pederast, Tchaikovsky. There you go. Right, but uh, the schizophrenic and black reactionary, Dostoevsky, the thief and gallows bird, Francois Villon. This is all true. Uh, And you can find – Yeah, it's a bad largest. I was crazy. Oh, oh, Henry was an embezzler. Everybody's got something wrong with him, right? Yeah, yeah. T.S. Eliot was a Nazi – sorry, a a fascist propagandist. Excuse me, excuse me, Ezra Pound. Um, Pound in the cage. Yeah, this morning my uh, my daughter and I were talking about uh, uh, Celine, who's you know such a good writer and open fascist. Um, and then you think about all the Soviet equivalents. You think, uh, you know, the the one Soviet poet that I met, uh, Yevtushenko, you know, was a, a strong d- defender of the Soviet Union. Um, and uh, which means he's defending you know an incredible amount of human rights abuses. Um, but we get. You know, we get the temple, and and that's the temple that that endures. Yeah, it's so it's so crazy. Um, like whatever flag people are waving, somebody hates it, right? But holding up the flag is an act that is almost in defiance of all the things that the flag is in a symbol for. So you know, wearing a a, a flag on your shoulder. Or, you know, draping yourself in your country's flag is an act that is very different than just walking down the street living in that country. It is not, it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, the same thing as planting a flag on your house. A lot of people do that. Um, when the flags come out is when sort of things are like in division in a certain sense. And so when we have all of these people in this, uh, doomed city and the title is i think important it's important right um all of their nationalities are incidental it's a fact about them but they're all united as doomed yeah i like that um that just reminded me of the nazi character at one point is called uh yesterday's enemy Mm mm-hmm 
which is cool. Yeah. Like it, it's like showing you like how they're they are all these things, but they're also not in this world. That's right. And when you strip them of the the flag, which you know they even want to proudly hold or proudly defend or have proudly defended, they they still have qualities outside of that. Mm-hmm. It's important. I, I think this kind of work is important because it is uh, not a blank canvas. It's a suggestive sketch, right? And and then it has points it's making, but it allows us a lot of room. And then when we get the 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 stuff, the whole back end talking about the temple, very important stuff, right? This is high poetry in some in some cases as like an aesthetic uh, way to be. <laughs> Yeah, the ending is so good. The I have a I don't like the endings of books usually. Mm-hmm. I find them disappointing. Yep. I, I like the build up more than the oh, ending, yeah. but this one the last chapter or so is just so good. Important. Um yeah, but you I don't know. know what's going to happen where what are they going to find at that end and then you get then you get that Gannix ending and he shoots yeah, himself just, and winds up back and letting go like wait what? Yeah, just where it takes you to like emotionally and psychologically and the visuals of the ending are cool. But I was gonna say, I don't know if I totally understand it. So No, no, I don't understand it either. Okay. So did he shoot himself? And then what's I, 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 I because I because I mentioned that infinite plane story before, I think he was himself. They showed he basically met himself and he shot himself. That's the way I interpret it, but Same. it's not the only interpretation possible. So what's with the scene that comes after that then? Where he's in this like room with Izia's family. I don't know. <laughs> I don't left, know. It's left it's left open mm-hmm. and and we get the we get the position that on, I think Andre is either um, capable of killing the best person we know who has who has tried to help him throughout the entire book. Mm. Uh, Andre is also capable of self-destruction, uh, which he really hasn't done before, but now really reaches that point. Um, and he's also, as we've seen, just clearly capable of destroying other human beings if this is uh, um, if this is somebody else. Um, I mean, the there was another hint towards it being Isya. Hang on, let's see. He pulled the pistol out of the holster. The pistol got caught in something. Suddenly, he felt afraid. He tugged harder, and then even harder. And then, with all his strength, he clearly saw an abrupt movement by the man who was walking towards him. Tall, tattered, exhausted, with a dirty beard right up to his eyes. It's stupid, he thought, squeezing the trigger. There was a shot. There was the flash of a return shot. Mm. He thought there was a shot from Izia. And there was a blow to his chest that instantly extinguished the sun. Um, mm. Remember in the uh, when he goes into the red building, um, he doesn't check his cap. And it keeps hanging down over his eyes, preventing him from seeing things. Yeah. And yeah. that, that's what happens at the end there, too. Um, yeah. And not being able to recognize this other, uh, he's just covered in hair and sores and, and dysentery. <laughs> um, and it is a mirror. Uh, he is shooting himself in a certain sense. Um, but am I really? I mean, that's the thing is he's very, there's so many scenes where he's, you know, sitting in his tent Um Going over all the possible things he can do to avoid, avoid 
having to do what he thinks needs doing, which is like, I got to shoot somebody. This is how you maintain discipline. This is what I'm told. This is what we need to do. You got to, you know, keep the others in line. These are animals, right? Yeah, he really gets on that Kool-Aid. He does. And the thing is, is that is the traditional way of doing it. Uh, there's a, a poem I'm going to do with Eric uh, for Reading Short and Deep called The One Black Stain. It's a it's a true story, except for the main character is um, Solomon Kane. <laughs> um, and it's about, uh, not Magellan, um, Sir Francis Drake uh, and his expedition around the uh, planet. Uh, one of his uh, captains uh, in his fleet of ships, you know, doing this voyage, ends up um, somehow disrespecting Sir Francis Drake. And he gets him up on the on this island in, I want to say, Indonesia, where previously Magellan had hung a bunch of his uh, his um, uh, rabble-rousing mutineers or something. And he commands Solomon Cain to uh, do the thing that he won't do, which is, you know, execute this, this rebel captain. And uh, you think, well, yeah, that's a nice little story. Well, the thing is, is this is like where, like the fact that he returns to England and unlike Magellan returns to England and, you know, Hey, uh, Queenie, I, I, I conquered the world for you. Um, he doesn't get reprimanded for killing this, you know, guy who thinks maybe I could run things better than you and maybe we should go back. Rather, it gets sort of canonized that you can now murder people because you are a chief of a, an expedition. This is like law. And so we have this like sort of maritime tradition of captains can do anything. Right? They can keep uh yeah, keep they order. Are the law. They are the law in a certain sense, right? And uh they can marry people. Where did that power come from? It came from this sort of and as the dominant, you know, navy on the planet People just sort of go along with it. And it's not like there, there is a law on a ship unless you're a pirate and you sign the articles, right? Because you're not in the land. And so if you seize the authority um, and nobody punishes you for it, then it's a precedent. And so in this, this little poem, Solomon Cain like says, you're a bad person. I won't, I won't go along with this. You're a coward. And, uh, Sir Francis Drake is like, we're going to cut his head off and put him in chains. And they tie up Solomon Cain and Solomon Cain's escapes. And then he goes to kill Drake, like sneaks into his, uh, his, uh, captaincy quarters on the ship. What's the name of his ship? I can't remember his ship's name. Anyways, the Golden Hind. He sneaks into the quarters on the Golden Hunt, which is a tiny, tiny ship. I don't know how this would ever happen. And uh, he finds uh, Drake there, head in hands, in the way that our main character is, sort of like racked with doubt. And instead of killing him, he leaves him uh, to suffer the misery of of having mi- killed one of his own friends for probably a wrong reason. It's probably a little ahistorical. But that it's kind of the same feeling. It's like we put ourselves in these hells by making poor decisions and then regretting it or doubling down on it and or not, you know, backing up somebody. And I didn't choose to be here. Somebody 
put me on this planet? How did this all happen? I think that that's kind of what, what, why this book really works is because it's dealing with something real. Um, even though it's, it feels very unreal given, you know, it's <laughs> in a non-existent place and, uh, nobody, nobody explains how it all set, how the whole thing works. There's no authorial info dump for us. Something like that. Yeah, at least in many ways. Um, it's kind of like the anti-Neil Stevenson. Uh, oh, yeah. Neil Stevenson would make this twice as long and explain everything. Yeah, yeah. There'd be uh, a detailed description of the thermodynamics of the uh, of the big wall. Um, <laughs> yeah, the void in the wall, yes. <laughs> Here it's just like, yeah, there's an infinite wall and there's an infinite void. You can go north or south. That's it. Deal with it. I, I and think... The sun, and, the sun, and, and then you have to... And you have that section where the sun doesn't appear for a while. And, it's and like, what, what does that? it mean, right? What does it mean that the sun is off and then suddenly comes on when the revolution's happening? Is it a coincidence? Is it a sign? Does this it's, mean the experiment is experiment? Exactly. There's no answer, right? Um, uh, uh, Brian, one of the things you tweeted very um, uh, against the rules of this podcast in advance you're talking yeah you're not allowed to talk about the book before we talk about the book um (laughs) you uh you you were talking about jesse's about to become a dictator (laughs) yep about to become about to become yeah (laughs) Yeah. um you were talking about the russian uh drinking scene the kitchen drinking scene i think yeah um i thought that that was really interesting because it comes quite early in the book and uh i i was like i hadn't got to that point when you you tweeted about it. And so I'm like, well, we'll see if that happens. And I'm like, oh, here it is. <laughs> and um, what was so interesting about it is they're all basically completely disagreeing with each other, uh, doing this philosophizing, Nazis and Soviets and whoever's at this, at this thing. And then they're not actually coming to blows over anything, right? It's just talk. And yet it's like... Uh, pretty deep lots of theories going on um so you want to say anything more about what you thought about that because it's a it's not something we see in american literature that often um well we do to an extent um i mean we all we we have we have people who have written a lot about about drinking um you know we mentioned hemingway already Mm um the uh and and F. Scott Fitzgerald mm-hmm. uh, has books on this, right? Um, but they're not uh, for, they're not uh, uh, communal drinking as much as like lonely uh, drinking, like trying to kill yourself drinking. Uh, or I'm thinking of uh, who's the uh, mystery author who was always writing about uh, drinking. Dashiell ha- no, not Dashiell Hammett. Yeah, Marlowe. A lot of them. Marlowe. Yeah. No. Well, I think I think he shows both. I mean, it's 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 a it's a manly thing to do. Uh, it's yes. a, it's it's a classy thing to do, um, and and so you know that's you know that that's a, a positive thing uh, in American tradition. But here, I, I thought first of all, it's just really very realistic. 
Um, it just described all the all the Russian drinking um, I've been part of as a as a teenager and in my twenties. Um, that, <laughs> insofar as I can remember, before the you know blackout. But um, you know they have the vukuski, uh, the, uh, the the snacks that you eat with the uh, with the alcohol, um, and then you've got you know people singing. You you go through all the stages of inebriation, um, but it, it also felt maybe I'm biased. But it felt very positive. Oh yeah. You know? It, it felt like a, a nice little bright spot, um, and at the and there's a there's a double of this later on when just before the expedition sets out, um, where now the counselor Andre um, has the nice uh, party for his family uh, that is that he and his wife host, and uh, and that sounds like a lot of fun, um, and then the red house appears, um, and he goes into it and finds the red house gone, uh, or not gone but uh, defunct, um, you know it's 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 a but I, I don't know. How, how do those sound to you? I mean, did, did that sound like a bunch of alcoholics beating each other? No, no. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to – who's the uh, – he wrote uh, L.A. Detective Stories um, where there's always a rich guy who's drinking himself to death. <laughs> Philip Marlowe, who, who wrote that? Well, um, damn it. My bra- anyways, we need, we need Paul's uh, Google brain. Yeah. So, um, Marlo, Marlo is uh, Chandler. Chandler, Chandler, Chandler. Yes, like right. That's... Who's who's British? Uh, no, no, no. That's Dashiell Hammett, right? Yeah. yeah. So Raymond uh, Chandler is American. Raymond Chandler, yes. Um, and they're set in Los Angeles, I think, rather than San Francisco. I think Dashiell Hammetts are set in. Anyway, they're a little blendy together. But the important part was, um, uh, you've got these these people who are sort of like hiding the truth of reality from the self by drinking in these American, uh, like uh, so many, like Mike Hammer, sort of this, the American detective story, which is, I think very important because it's about uh, uncovering reality, right? It's, it's, uh, this mystery needs to be solved. The police aren't going to do it for me. I got to do it. And if it's a Mike Hammer story, it's like that guy was beating his wife. Right now, I'm going to beat his face in. Whereas, if it's a Philip Marlowe story, it's somebody died. Some rich guy wants me to investigate. I'll go investigate. Turns out that uh, his daughter killed herself. His daughter killed herself, and now he goes drowns himself in the sea because it's all about you know hiding the truth through alcohol. Whereas the Russian drinking party seems to be a, a communal. Um, not celebration, but defiance against the reality that they already acknowledge. And I think that that's what's happening in that scene, right? They all know what the problem is, but nobody has the one solution, but they're all willing to listen to each other. Um, And it doesn't really end with all the vomiting that you get at the end of the book, right? It ends with uh, more, more thoughts. And that I thought was pretty interesting. But I've never been to one of these Russian drinking parties that, Wait, that, that, that makes you, me you've think of, gone to, Ryan. That makes me think of the Herodotus uh, story about the Persian court. I th- mm. I've, I've mentioned this one before. Mm. I mean, we don't know how accurate it is, but according to Herodotus, the Persian court always 
decided things in two sessions, one while oh, sober, right. while while drunk. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And this is Herodotus, so you know we don't exactly. We don't know how accurate this is. It's a good story. Yeah, it, it is. Any it is. Well, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's traditions of this. I mean, there's all kinds of things. I mean, um, Peter the Great uh, used to do this thing where they, he would have the uh, drunken synod of fools. Um, where uh, basically they would get people off the street uh, and random people to be the Russian government for a day. Mm. <laughs> and the Russian government would be just like take a break and then they'd, they'd, they'd have fun. Um, Sounds like uh, uh, randomocracy to me. Uh, yeah, uh, literally. Um, and then, you know, you've got things like uh, um, Stalin used to play this trick on people where he would just ply them with vodka and he was apparently drinking water the whole time mm-hmm. uh, just so he could see when they were really blasted. if they What were they thought of him, vodka. yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's... it's and uh, Vino Veritas is, is legit, right? Yep. Well, there's there's a I mean, it's an interesting way actually of thinking about World War Two is thinking about how many of the national leaders were all completely out of their minds on different substances. Uh, you know, you think about the Vermont. Churchill couldn't go fucking like two weeks without right. getting his prescription alcohol. Right. 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 He's blasted uh, yeah. every fucking second of the day. Uh, so, you know, or, or, you, or later on, you think about Nixon being uh, being drunk a lot and in charge of the nuclear bombs. Um, but uh or Yeltsin, even worse. I mean, oh Yeltsin, my God, that guy so could barely drunk. stand up. The Russians thought he drank too much, and that really awes me. Yes, um, you know, that's just hard to imagine. I believe he like didn't he die shortly thereafter of like liver disease or something? Yeah, yeah. I mean, as far as I know, but but you know, I I, I think it's it's a warm moment, and it's one that uh, Andre can't reproduce. He, he is unable to keep these circles going. Uh, he loves his, uh, his farmer friend, um, and kind of loses track of him, tries to bring him along. Um, but his farmer fails to go along with him. And it's interesting that the farmer for me suggests, uh, the conclusion of Voltaire's Candide where, uh, Candide, Dude, you know, totally. The best thing is to stay in your, maintain your own garden and also getting your ass blasted off. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and having machine guns so you can take care of the you know beasts in the swamp and <laughs> wow, I didn't, I, yeah, I I knew that the Candide reference was there, but I yeah, I'm seeing the whole book is sort of a as a dark ta- a dark Russian take on Candide versus the light French take of Voltaire. Well, the key thing is Andre is is not a great person, um, and and he's our point of view. Yeah. Um, so he doesn't seem that bad when you're hanging out with him, but if you if you do zoom out a bit, it looks pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. There's a, one one last Russian thing I'll just mention. I just, I just and I'll stop digging into that. And um, which is that I, I find a lot of of Russian lit from Dostoevsky through the 20th century has awkward conversations. I like um, those. Yeah. People complain about them. It's it's kind of like the extreme opposite of Frank Herbert's conversations, uh, where you know, you've got like twenty level games. Dancing, going yeah, yeah. But but for for a lot of Russian that you get someone asks a question and it's the wrong question, everyone's embarrassed and they fall silent, and then someone says something else and they kind of shamble along. Yeah, um, it's it's painful um, to read at times, um, but it's it strikes very true. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I I. I a lot of – Andre is over and over again involved in that kind of conversation. You know, I don't understand what you're saying, he says to the person who's expressing themselves very clearly. Mm. <laughs> yeah. The dialogue is really fun in this book. It's a it's a really good book. Um, it, I feel like uh, if I had 
read the paper book, I would be able to like pull out 10,000 quotes. I saw Paul doing some of that early on in this week. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so something I've been doing on and off for the last couple of years is basically building a commonplace book. You guys know what a commonplace book is? Yep. Yep. Oh. Can you tell me? It, it's basic, it's basically a, basically it's a, it's your self journal where you take excerpts and quotes and things from other books and keep them as like references for you yourself. Write down like, your they, dreams, uh, like literal you, dreams. Or, or you like to write down your dreams because because I, I have a Google document where I have a hundred fifty or so of these quotes from various books I've done. Oh, and so, I did yeah, that too, so, but I didn't know it had a name. Cool. Yep, yep. It, it it used to be very popular. Like in the 17th, 18th, it's, 18th as opposed to like a diary, which is very narcissistic. Dear diary, <laughs> right? yeah, this like, is more like, oh, isn't that interesting? Make a note, right? And it's just mm-hmm. a thing it, where you it, always it, turn to. That's actually right. what Twitter is mostly for me, right? Is like I just oh etymology, and I throw and, that and down. It, right, and this book was full. I got like half a dozen quotes from my. Uh, I actually call it my miscellany the, the, instead of a commonplace book. I, have a, I got half a dozen quotes out of this book following my miscellany. I would, I would listen like, stop, like, whoop, that's good. Whoop, rewind. I got to get that down. Mm-hmm. It, it, it just slowed me down a bit, but I, luckily I started early. It's like, like, like one of them was the right to the power belongs to whoever holds the power. Or more precisely, if you like, the right to power is held by whoever exercises power. Mm-hmm. Man has to have a goal. He can't manage without a goal. If he doesn't have a goal, he invents one. Mm-hmm. Hence yeah, the expedition. Hence the experiment. Right? It, it, we have to do this thing. Why? Because there's nothing to do. <laughs> we got to do something. This cannot stand. We got to do something. I feel like that's a lot behind the whole like Twitter outrage and just general outrage about world and stuff now as well. 100%. It's just like people need this. Yeah. These goals and these enemies. Yep. And it's it's very easy to be uncharitable on a medium where you you're only seeing words on a page right and you know you can only do so much with emojis but more importantly when you're talking with somebody like you are in a conversation with them like around a table and passing vodka back and forth or maybe just water <laughs> um depending on what you're putting in your cup um you can like Get a sense of what uh, people are saying, and you don't need to be outraged by everything that they say that isn't 100% within your own, uh, I don't know, set of beliefs. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, even calling things a set of beliefs, I think, is dangerous, because it's like, I have a list of beliefs right here, and I'm going <laughs> to yeah. show them to you. Please check mark all the ones that you agree with. Anything that you're not sure about, we'll talk about, and we'll yeah, try and work out. And if you put an X beside, I'm walking away. <laughs> Maybe wow. we should call it a a blob of ideas I'm currently carrying around. Yeah, yeah. And said <laughs> some are drooling out of my pocket right now and <laughs> yeah. the ones and drooling out of my mouth other- don't 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 count these as important. <laughs> yeah, and you can squish some other ones in there if you want, it's fine. That's right. <laughs> and a lot of the time what we're doing is we're we're taking a model of what someone else is saying and we're saying this is what you're saying. And then they say, no, that's not what I'm saying. You're missing this part. And, oh, right. And we have this back and forth that's very uh, convenient. But on Twitter, especially seeing other people, you know, you don't know uh, personally and how they, you know, their mannerisms work. Um, it's it's hard. It's hard for them. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, the most astounding thing to me about this, uh, this sort of ongoing public conversation that you would see about Reddit and Twitter and all the other places that you can communicate. I assume Instagram isn't just images. Maybe there's a word there. Mostly, you know, yeah. TikTok or whatever. Um, is, is that, uh, there are all these people. I don't know who they are, but there's these vast swaths of people who will comment under like famous Twitter people, like, blue check people who don't check their mentions very much or if they do they don't respond and they like they just have like a random list of i, I say random a massive list of comments underneath and none of them have been like favorited it's like they're just talking to themselves but they think people are hearing you gotta have a go <laughs> i think that that's really it is that mm -hmm. th this is what you do because you don't have a goal mm-hmm like when 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 you see me on Twitter, it's because something's processing on my key my my like I'm running a uh, scan Taylor and I have to wait fifteen seconds <laughs> for something to finish before I can get on to the next step. So I I just like check on Twitter and read something, and laugh, and then retweet it or whatever. And 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 that's like very different than having that in person conversation or a massive dialogue with somebody about a book. Well, back in the uh, in before times, mm. before COVID, uh, I used to do a lot of traveling to a lot of events, and I would often live tweet uh, what I was doing. So, if I was at a conference, you know, giving a talk or listening to talks, I, I would uh, I would try and do that as diligently as I could. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, hashtag for the event, that kind of thing. Um, I, I have the opposite use. I, I really believe in, in Twitter's conversation, and so I, I tag people. Uh, I, I monitor I monitor my own mentions, both uh, through my name as well as through my uh, handle, um, and I also monitor mentions for uh, one hashtag I maintain, and also for one of my books. Um, and I love that. Um, that's actually how I use Facebook too. Uh, I just I, I believe in the conversation, and uh, and I, I think Twitter affords the conversation in some different ways you know the, the very, oh you can get to people you could never ever get to uh you know uh, via without you know having somebody know them and have an introduction 100 mm -hmm. mm -hmm. yeah i think it definitely has that side as well there's there's definitely like it is great for that for connecting with people on, on your same brain length and yeah. um yeah no, you, you get some guys got a really interesting bookshelf you say, hey, I see you're, you've got that book. You want to do a show? And they say, uh, I don't have a computer. I say, ah, we'll just use your phone. <laughs> well, that'll be, we'll work it out. And then I Jesse gets was, angry. They, they don't have the right microphone. <laughs> I wish there was like a, a thing in the algorithms or something, though, that could detect when someone was outraged and just like made them, like wouldn't post the tweet right away. Like it would make them wait like five uh, minutes. They've tried, <laughs> like, they've tried talking about like, I think there's like plugins and stuff it? that, yeah. <laughs> that is like moderate, moderate your anger sort of thing. Yeah. Do you want to just like think on this for a minute? <laughs> well, we need that in real life though, too. You know, like uh, the, the road rage is, is it's almost like that Twitter isolation. You're inside your little rage, car yeah. um, and you, you see that there's another person inside another car, but they're indistinct and they are, have a look of concentration and fear on their face. Right. Or maybe not, yeah. not a, not a, they should have a look of concentration and they're just, you know, singing to the radio and not paying attention to the fact that they're in the wrong lane or whatever. Yeah. Or they forgot to indicate or something. And it's yes. just like, 
oh my god, this person is the worst human yes. being in the entire world. Yes, and and, but, and and yet you you can meet uh, people who you know are essentially bad drivers, right? <laughs> you don't want to be driven by them. You'd prefer to drive, even though it's hard to drive for a long period of time. You'd prefer to drive because you don't want to see them driving. And yet they're perfectly nice people <laughs> other than the oh, fact that they yeah, can't drive like, for shit. <laughs> right. I don't want to talk shit about my husband in case he's listening right now. But like, <laughs> oh, seven months ago, it doesn't matter. He's one of those that like will criticize other drivers and things. But if he makes a mistake, I'll be like, you didn't indicate or whatever. Yeah. He'll be like, yeah, I'm just tired. Well, like, you know, there's yeah. an excuse for it. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. But it if is. someone else does that. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's hard not to be a hypocrite. And so we all have to work at it. Um, but yeah. some of us work too hard at it and some of us don't work hard enough. Perhaps. Yeah. Um, Indeed. I want to, I want to uh, say one more thing about the book as well. Uh, how good was that uh, narration? Dude, he, uh, he had kind of like a voice for everybody, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. It was so good. Who is the narrator there? I don't even, I don't think I noticed. So. I really liked how he did Is yeah as well. Like the inflections on that voice was so fun to listen to. I have the translator, but I do not have the narrator listed. Chris Andrew Sula. Okay, well I'm gonna have to look out for that guy because he had um, he had a voice for everything, an accent for everything, and okay, it made uh -huh. it very distinctive for uh, keeping track of all the many characters who are in this book. Yeah, and it never felt like too much or forced. It just felt really like, and I oh, got them I, I, too. Right. Oh, he's 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 done a couple books I've I have actually listened to an audio, but but I've read. He's done um he's done Max Gladstone. He's done Michael Underwood. He's done a he's done he's done some done a bunch of other things I have not read, but yeah, mm -hmm. it's good stuff. It's uh it takes a real skill to um, do all those accents and keep them all in order, and I think he did a really good job. Mm -hmm. Nice work. Good yeah. podcast, thank you. Good show, good, good take. Yeah, thank you. Oh, glad we got you uh, on this. Um, this was by special request of Joe Baca, <laughs> uh, who's who? some Twitter guy. Uh, who we did this because a random Twitter guy. Oh God, Jesse, dude. Uh, that's I mean, great. Yeah, I'm, 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 that's I'm exactly glad, right. That's exactly right. It is great. It's like we did random, uh, random. If Thank if he had God. sent me five hundred dollars, I would have said, "Fuck you! I'm never doing this book." Uh -huh. However, because he was some random guy who 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 wanted to uh, see what Brian had to say about uh, this book he read, uh, and also not just random guy, like it's a fan of the show. Like, yeah, yeah, of course. That's really fucking cool to like a, a guy yeah. who likes. Here, listen to listen what he just said on February 9th. Looking forward to everyone's thoughts. Looking forward to next week's show as well. Yeah. Right. Cool. That's yeah. nice. Well, Chowbacca, thank you so much. Ideas from fans. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Good hit, read. Chowbacca four one five at Chowbacca four one five. So, that's how that's how um, you know, it's it's our job to uh, make the temple as pretty and <laughs> nice as possible, <laughs> even though there are some books that are full with shit on the <laughs> on the shelves. We got. I keep working it. I keep thinking of it as a library, you know, the, uh, the temple. Yeah. Right. And you, you, the things you put in there are valuable 
and it's our job to protect them and check them out and and uh i think i think this is a worth a good one for checking out i'm glad we did this book same well i hope uh, all of you get to uh, uh be safe uh, and take care and uh i hope jesse doesn't get to hitch any unwanted rides on any trucks and uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> they're all being impounded at this very moment Paul and uh, Marissa, I hope you get to enjoy the first bits of spring. And, uh, well, yeah. it, it's it's going to get above freezing here today, and then tomorrow into Tuesday, six to twelve inches of snow. I just saw uh, Brian. Your last message to me on Twitter was two hours ago. It says, "Ready when you are, mentor." And I just it just occurred to me, mentor. It just occurred to me that the relationship that mentor. Oh, I I, I turned off my recorder. Oh, it's okay. We're still talking. Um, the relationship mentor in, um, in, uh, the Odyssey has to Telemachus mm-hmm. is that mentor is actually Athena, right? There's this guy named mentor, but she takes on his aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, she poses as a And then gives him advice in the same way that go find your father (laughs) yeah but she does that for odysseus as well she's or i guess she says but but, but when she's talking to odysseus she's herself when she talks to telemachus she's posing as mentor yeah but no she sends um she gets uh zeus to send uh mercury to give advice about uh cersei and stuff cersei yes so oh no yeah yeah that's right on the island how to deal with her right um, and so it just occurred to me that maybe some of the uh, characters in this book, in this world, are actually um, on-hands experimenters, as opposed to, uh, uh, it's like, what's that terrible show, Touched by an Angel? I've never watched it. <laughs> maybe, it's, maybe, it's wonder- maybe it's wonderful. Touched by an Angel, where it's kind of like Quantum Leap, but for Christians. Like where- it's not Quantum Leap. I have never seen it so maybe you're right but I No my, no my, ba- 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 basically the, the the angel walks the earth uh, doing right and stuff he doesn't go leaping through time and space I believe that is the premise of quantum leap as he has to make things go right Yeah but he leaps huh? through time and space he does whatever Michael, it's the same thing except one's Christian and the other one's like a, a science fiction ex- explanation right but if that's the case um mentor uh, might might be uh, something important in this book. What do you think? And Brian's gone. <laughs> I wasn't, no, I'm here. I okay. Wasn't sure where to, I wasn't sure where to go with it. Um, I don't know. With mentor. Um, and uh, there's a lot of arguments about mentoring, um, mm-hmm. pedagogy. Um, and, you know, in many ways they, they, they feel, uh, they feel flawed. I just wanted to point out, I guess before we go is the the uh, last words of the uh, of of the book in Russian. Again, I just you know I haven't had a chance to look into it much in Russian, um, but Polnitsy um, excuse me, Polnitsami drove, which is stacks of firewood, um, and. Again, if we're thinking about this in terms of hell, mm-hmm. um, then there's a lot of burning to come. Yep. Um, and so the mentor in that case is something more like a demon or a devil. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I mean, Athena's Athena's uh, hobby horse for um, 
Odysseus is kind of weird in the first place. She sees him sort of like as, as her avatar on Earth. Right? She He's the wise one. He's the wily one. Yeah. Um, and so she has a special interest in him in the same way that, I guess, uh, Hercules gets a uh, special interest from um, Zeus. But yeah, I, I I haven't tried to read that as a uh, a psychological story. <laughs> I which I think would probably be interesting. Freud's not there yet, right? So, well, I mean, Nietzsche Nietzsche had this this these great fun observations of the Greeks. He said, you know, they did not have any psychological depth. You know, if anything mm. weird happened, they'd say, ah, a god made me do it. Yep. <laughs> Which is actually psychological depth. It's just not. It's just the explanation is not psychological. Well, it's outsourced. Right? Yes, yes. Well, right. we do that all the time. Oh. I think I'm going to have to outsource my relationship to my family now because they want to talk to me. Um, Thank you very much. Um, I want to see a, a photo of your uh, your uh, what's what's that from Get Smart? The Room of Silence, Cone of Silence, Cone of Silence. Da, yeah. Da, 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 I want to see a photo of your Cone of Silence room. Because it's, it's uh, obviously very quiet. Sure, it's not. There's nothing really much to see. It's a black room um, with Ooh, a little, uh, little glass door. And there's an ante room somewhere in the house. That's a white room. The ante room. That's right. That's right. A n t e. Brian's just sitting there facing his reflection. That's right. Wow. There's a metaphor there for you. Yeah. Well, I'm glad the audio worked. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah, I'm going to press stop on mine. Thank you. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio. Oh, all right. I am back, and my recorder broke already. Thanks, thanks, MP3 Skype recorder. Love you too. Uh, I think it's Skype that breaks it. Um, Marissa's not online. I'm gonna just ping her. I think we got Brian. Experiment. Save it. (laughs) Save it for the podcast, Mr. Alexander. Oh, I've got plenty. Oh, she's she says she's restarting her computer. Be there in a minute. Okay, great. Um, uh, Brian, I have a question for you. Oh, I might have an answer. Are you a vegetarian? Vegan. Vegan. Wow. Yeah. When did that happen? Was that uh, relatively recent? Oh, About two years echo. ago. Uh, is that echo coming from you, Brian? Have you got um, headphones in? I- I do not have headphones on. If you can grab uh, them, that'll help us with the echo. Okay, because I'm I'm not hearing it. But give me give me a minute. Yep. Speaking of which, I'm just going to unplug for a second. Hang on. There we go.
What kind of tea did you get, Paul? Oh, it's just it's just regular unsweetened tea. I'm trying. I I I consume too many calories in a day, so I need to drink more unsweetened tea and less sweetened tea. Yeah, so, black tea, green I, tea, red tea, black what kind tea, of tea, black black tea. Okay, but I don't like I don't like hot. I don't like hot black tea on sweet. Green tea is okay because it's got a little bit of sweetness to it, but I don't like hot black tea on sweetness. But cold black tea I will drink. Uh, but so no particular I, blend of tea? Black tea? Um, this, 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 this is stuff out of a bottle. At work I drink uh, vanilla chai. But I'll take I'll take a brew of hot tea and then add a ton of ice to it and make it icy. But, That's, that, that's how it, that was not me whatever I, I, I think that's something <laughs> it's like a ghost scary ghost sounds like a fan as well I hope that's not me I don't really think we're on here I think it's Brian it's not on yet Ryan, are you there? No. Oh, we've 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 switched from an active Brian to a strange noise. Um, oh, he's typing to us. Here. There's a there's a metaphor here somewhere. You can't hear us. Mac isn't recognizing Mac earbuds. Okay. (sighs) Technology. Yeah, Yeah, no. uh, Eric has this problem like every every single time. (laughs) It's so he he has hearing aids which he also uses through Bluetooth, and it's like a constant war between his Bluetooth. And his Bluetooth and his Bluetooth. You got the noisy was, keyboard, Paul. I was thinking. That's not me. I'm not typing. Oh. Not, Brian not, has. Not my, not my fault this time. <laughs> Don't blame me. We can hear you typing and breathing. <laughs> oh, God. Like, <laughs> I thought that maybe after the podcast, I'll go for a walk. It's, a, it's actually going to be above freezing today. Tomorrow we're going. Tomorrow into Tuesday we're going to get half a foot of snow at least. Uh, but I thought, oh, I could listen. I could listen. I could start listening to Door into Summer. Except I only have one Bluetooth headphones and they're at work, so I will not be listening to the Door into Summer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can. Now? I can hear you. Okay. Can you hear us? Oh, yeah. Um, did the uh, echo go away? Yeah, it sounds good so far. Let's hear some explanation for. How and when you became a vegan? Um, about two years ago, uh-huh. um, my uh, family doctor, then family doctor, said uh, she recommended it uh, as a way of getting healthier. Right. And so I, I did it part time uh, using the VB6 diet 
and then uh, switched over full time right around the time the pandemic began, kind of like the worst possible moment. Yeah. Uh, so, how's how's the sound now? Is it's this better, no echo. Good? It's it's not perfect sound, but uh, it's good. Uh, we can totally hear your keyboard though. So, I'm gonna get you to bring up your tabs and then push the keyboard away <laughs> during the show because. Um, yep. It, 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 they sh- the echo, not the echo, the the tapping will drive me insane. Mm-hmm. Um, I keep telling Paul he needs to get a membrane keyboard because <laughs> he has one of those mechanical keyboards as well. I like the mechanical. Everybody likes the mechanical, but it's not good for audio. No, no it's, it's, uh, it's no, it's not good for audio. That, that's fair. That's a fair cop. It's fantastic for uh, for for writing. Oh yeah, uh, I... it feels great. I agree. <laughs> yeah, the, there's but, uh, it, you you feel like um, achievement is happening. The pressing feels better. There's feedback. It's more tactile. Everything about it is a better experience. But it's shit for audio. <laughs> yep. Yep. Straight up. Yep. Um, we're waiting on Marissa. Um, she said she was rebooting. I'm just gonna check. Uh, so I have to ask. Yeah. Why were why were you asking about? Oh, the, uh, just because you were talking about cooking, and I'm like, okay, okay, the, the, all these ingredients, and like, where's the meat? And there was like, uh, and I noticed it again, like you, you would, uh, or like eggs or something. And I'm like, I think, but see, I would have guessed that if you had, like, if you had to ask me, is Brian a vegetarian or a vegan? I would have said he was a vegetarian. Um, but were, you weren't a vegetarian before you became a vegan, were you? No, I, I, I skipped that. I uh, I skipped that transition stage. I, I didn't do uh, <laughs> I didn't do pescatarian or anything. You're in your uh, final form. <laughs> that, that was before I turned into a being of energy. I, uh, a being uh, of energy and light. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah it's it's interesting because um, uh, you know, I, I'm sure you know Eric's been a vegetarian like forever. Yeah, his yeah, wife is argue about that. Yeah, it's interesting. Oh, and Evan's a vegetarian as well. Um, well, I, I didn't really do this for the uh, ethical arguments that uh, come up. In fact, when we were living in Vermont, we did our own our own farming, including our own raising of animals and, and making animal products. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty close to that idea. But uh, uh, I did it partly for health. I mm-hmm. wanted to extend my lifespan. And uh, and so far, I lost something like forty pounds. So that was uh, you know a big a big achievement. Um, but then uh, I also, as a futurist, wanted to explore because there's the possibility of humanity living a, a much less uh, animal based diet uh, as a result of the uh, climate crisis. Uh, so I wanted to get a better sense of what that's actually like. Uh, and now I do have a better sense of what that's actually like. So the, you're uh, saying the experiment is. <laughs> Experiment is the experiment. Hey, save it for the podcast. Tricked you. Oh no, no I, I thought you would do that. <laughs> You're right. But I'm I'm just nice. I'm I'm you know, I'm 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 neither Andre nor uh, nor Izzy. I'm I'm just I'm just nice to you though. You know, yeah. I think that that's really Paul's problem with me is I'm not nice. I'm like I'm kind of mean, but it's <laughs> it's mean in a like a. a a discursive way. If wait, I don't even know what discursive means. I'm typing it in. Dis on my nice membrane keyboard. Discursive. <coughs> it means I don't curse very much, right? Digressing no. from subject That's to subject, relating to discourse or modes of discourse. Yeah, that second part makes more sense. 
Ah, or maybe not. I don't know. But I, I, I do like the, the, um, it's why I love going to university so much. I liked arguing, uh, to figure out what was going on, what was bullshit, because almost everything's bullshit. <laughs> I guess is my theory. Um, anyways, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, so this uh-huh. is going to be an interesting book. We had a couple of people drop out, um, uh, and I'll maybe get into that uh, speculation as to why. Oh, they didn't. Is tell that you. you, Paul? With the oh, what mouse? No, I'm not. I'm not touching my mouse at the moment. That's got to be Brian then. Brian's. Gotta you can be. hear my mouse. Oh yeah. We oh, can... we're still hearing clicky clicky. clicky. Oh yeah. I was like, that's got to be. Some sort of, yeah. It's got to be Paul because it's no, Paul. no, Paul doesn't have a mechanical mouse, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, I've got. Uh, oh God! Uh, this is a this is a very quiet mouse too. Man, oh no, I can totally hear it. Now, um, did you did you did you see that that Mac mouse where they uh, put the uh, charging port on the bottom of the mouse? I did not. Um, yeah, so so it wouldn't look so ugly. Oh so yeah, of course rest- that makes sense. Yeah, so you couldn't use it while it was charging. Oh, that makes sense too. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, the ideal is you have not only will you own nothing, <laughs> you can use nothing. There you go. <laughs> but but you'll you'll look cool. Oh man, will you ever look cool? They're gonna have they're gonna, the first uh, Apple Car will come out, and there will be no doors into it. It'll all be glass. <laughs> <laughs> Either have to be born inside of it to use it and never come out, or you just admire it in your garage. That makes me think of the poem that I wrongly call Orbitsville. It's not called Orbitsville, but I I I misattributed it. I will allow Um, you to type it in to look it up on your noisy mechanical keyboard. Okay, while we wait for Marissa, I'm going to. Where is this? Can I find it? I'm going to read this poem. If, the, if this is pre-chat that's going to wind up in an episode, this might actually be valuable information. The actual... the act, So, it's not called Orbitsville, but I, I took that from the first line. It's called Southbound on the Freeway. Who's it's by, by? Yeah. Mary Swenson, okay. 1963. Ooh. Okay. Here we go. A tourist came in from Orbitsville, parked in the air, and said... The creatures of the star are made of metal and glass. Through the transparent parts, you can see their guts. Their feet are round and roll on diagrams or long measuring tapes, dark with white lines. They have four eyes. The two in the back are red. Sometimes you can see a five-eyed one with a red eye turning on the top of his head. He must be special. The others respect him and go slow when he passes, mm. winding among them from behind. They all hiss as they glide like inches down the marked tapes. Those, short, those, those soft shapes, shadowy inside, the hard bodies, are they their guts or their brains? It's a Disney Pixar movie. Uh, this is 1963, so long wow. before Disney Pixar. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's, nice. it's a great poem. I always thought it was named Orbitsville, though. And I yeah. memorized it long ago. So it's, That's probably another novel nut name. Yeah. No, that, that is by uh, Shaw, right? I don't know. Uh, yeah. yeah. See, Bob I'm, I'm enjoying. My, I think so. I'm enjoying my pre Marissa keyboard. Bob Shaw. Yeah. Yeah. It's a Dyson Sphere story, actually. Oh. Um, I haven't read I love that much poem. Bob Shaw. 
So the 1974. So I wonder. I mean, what if he read? Oh, oh God, that would be very likely. Yeah, I mean, I don't want you to have the book. Um, yeah, and I'm curious. I think I've only read Light of Other Days by him. Let's have a look at his ISFDB. You know what happens so often now, and this is kind of good, but it's okay. also really bad. Oh, you're here. I made it. You're here. You made it. <coughs> Hello. And fuck Skype. I'm yeah. so mad at Skype. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I believe your microphone is not set to the correct uh, nice sounding uh, Yeti because you, you sound oh, okay. distant and, and far away like you're in Vermont or something. Let me hey. check. Let me check. Receiving this message because she has she moved into uh, your old house, I guess. <laughs> the battery becomes available. We advise you. We send you up to updates. The item remains unavailable. Great. Just great. Thanks, supply chain. <laughs> so, what, so, 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 one of my, so one of my camera batteries died, but I can't buy a replacement. Oh, no. I mean, I have spares because I bought a couple extra back when I went to Nepal because I would need them. One of them are now kaput, so now I'm now 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 my margin for error is one battery. I have one I have one battery I have two cameras and two batteries, so it's like yeah, that's not so great anymore. But you know, so it goes. Supply chain. All right. Do I sound any better now? Much better. All right. Wonderfully better. It's been a long it's time. Weird. I tried to get to the microphone and Microsoft is busy being like, do you want a background picture? <laughs> oh, no, Are you on Windows 11? No, the answer is no. Are you on yeah, Windows 11 know. already? Because I, I don't get that one, but I get a lot of annoying Windows 10 stuff. Uh, I'm on 10, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but do you know what's weird? I was sitting down here ready to go at like early uh-huh. and looking at my notes and stuff and my mouse stopped working. And I was like, oh, fuck, the batteries just run out. So I quickly, like, changed the batteries and um, fixed it. And then I was sitting here again, and it was still 1058, which it had been when my mouse ran out of batteries. (laughs) And my computer had just frozen, but the time had frozen as well. And I was like, wow, that's really like the book we're reading. Like, (laughs) time just froze here. Save it. (laughs) Save it. (laughs) So stupid. So, yeah, I was sitting here looking at 1058 being like, this is a really long minute. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to send uh, everybody in the group uh, the Russian version of um, this novel, uh, e-text, um, and it's available uh, in a translation somewhere. Um, you, on my phone, it pops up as a translation. I guess it's not on this. Okay, so there it is in Russian, and uh, let's just put it into Google Translate. This is, this is not Sick My Duck or something stupid like that, is it? How dare you insult Sick My Duck? <laughs> Paul hates Sick My Duck. He's anti Russian. You shouldn't I'm read this an- book. I'm not anti Russian. How dare you insult yeah, the- that site? Because it's just, there's also pop up ads and other crap, and it. Well. That it may be infected with, yeah, stuff. It's true. So yeah, so. But it's not the website that did it. It's just you know, hackers um, or whatever. And it's a nice service. Just use an ad blocker. Uh, Google Translate. Uh, there we go. All right. So um, this is. I, I don't have another English copy, so I'll just use this one. Um, I think if I just put that, yeah, change detect language. 
it doesn't like that, so I'm going to just change it to Russian. I'll send you guys another link. We're getting another sound. It sounds weird. Like a fan? Like a hissing sound? Yeah. I can hear that too. Maybe Brian? Think it's me? No. Uh, I'm, I'm not hissing yet. Uh, <laughs> no. All right. Hang on while I get this Russian translation up. Uh, is this going to oh, work? I need, I need to bring up my Google Keep document on all my notes. Share translate. Okay. I'll click on this and see what happens. No, that didn't uh, work. Okay. Detect language. Did that. Russian to English. Okay. And there should be an enter button somewhere. <laughs> it's not working. Why is that not working? It, it, it worked for me and Google natively. It's like translate the, the button. Oh, I'm probably it, using, it, yeah, I'm using Firefox. It, so let me just switch it, it to, um, uh, it, it came with a thing like Chrome. change language from Russian to English. Um, and it worked. All right. There was, worked a, there was a distressing article in Wired about uh, Firefox's numbers being lower and lower. Uh, well, I'm, I'm trying to switch over to Brave. It hasn't quite uh, gone in yet. But on my phone, I use uh, an ad blocker browser like for everything. Love mm. it so much. It's so good. Um, I mean, you have it on your phone. Yeah. Great. Oh, app. Which one is it? It's called, um, ad blocker, <laughs> a free ad blocker browser. And I have like 10,000 tabs open in it because I don't seem to ever close tabs and it doesn't do anything. Every once in a while, it's a, oh, I think the home screen for it is like, um, this is how many hours of ads we blocked from you or whatever. Yeah. So it is work. That link is working. Um, if you use Chrome, yeah. What what is that sound coming? I just got that sound. This grid view. Uh, uh, do you want me to try and mute and see if it's my mic or something? It's not because it. Yeah, it's Brian. So, have you got a fan blowing, Brian? Two rooms over. Um... No, I can't be it. Is it, well, it hey, pick that let, me up. Go, let me go turn it off. Hang on. Okay. I, I wouldn't, that wouldn't be it. I can't imagine. Unless it's like uh, very tiny rooms. It's not ruinous anyways, but it's nice to have nice clean audio for the listener. The ideal listener. <laughs> Who is me? Uh, Did that make a difference? Uh, it's gone now, so hopefully it's not uh, ruinous. Two rooms over. Maybe, maybe it's it's also like you've got a laptop or a, um. Uh, oh, there's a cat. <laughs> well, the audio is uh, the microphone is apparently very very good because the cat was meowing behind my back. Okay, uh, uh, what kind of microphone is it? It's just an earbud microphone. Mm. Okay. Oh, well, yeah, it's not cardioid, so it, it picks up everything that's, um, it's a, it's a high quality app for picking up, uh, noise <laughs> instead of like the, you know, like a very narrow band. Um, what well, doesn't matter? We can survive with what we got. I am surprised you don't have like, uh, cause you do so many, um, online stuff. You don't have like all the podcaster equipment that everybody's sporting on um, YouTube. I have actually um, 
the I could switch if you want. Uh, we we have a, a podcasting room with sound baffles. Uh, I could put in my other computer there and my um, and my mic, but it would take me about five minutes to set up. Oh, no worries. If you want to do that, that'd be great because um, it will improve sound quality. Because I I don't want to I don't want to interrupt. You know, say hey, get that cat off of the keyboard. <laughs> um, yeah, ideal audio is ideal. Uh, all right. I mean, um, give me uh, five minutes. No worries. We can wait. Um, what's going on in uh, Vermont, Marissa? I haven't seen much hide nor hair of you on online. Is this the first uh, time I've talked to you this year? Uh, uh, is it? I don't know. It's. I guess it could be. Time has been going pretty fast. It sure has. Um, I've been pretty busy, so I'm not sure, but... What's going on here is a lot of me doing editing stuff and reading and walking around in the snow. That's oh, yeah. I have now. seen some of that. I have yeah. seen some of your uh, nature reality and uh, and uh, how it is. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I'm making friends with the birds, um, the chickadees are eating out of my hand now. And one wow. landed on my hand yesterday. Wow. Which, uh, that's my main socializing right now. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's the story with, uh, the bear situation? You got any bears? No, no bears here. Oh, well, my mom was tweeting a picture yesterday, uh, that somebody in her face group, local group, it was like a bobcat in somebody's yard. It was like, Yep, that's a bobcat. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. I love bobcats. I think we do have those here and a bunch of other little, like we've got, um, we've got these large coyotes, which people here call ki wolves. I'm not sure how you say it, but they're, wow. they're like basically coyotes that at one point in their history have bred with wolves from Canada, I think, and wow. moved down. And so they're kind of like, they've got like a little bit of wolf DNA, but it's not half half. And they're Koi much bigger than ones no in myth, California. Says somebody on the internet. <laughs> wow, that's interesting because I, I I thought they they had different breeding cycles. Um, yeah, I'm not, and I don't think they breed like casually and normally. It seems like when I researched it a little bit that it they have got like a little bit of DNA in them from at some point they must have interbred, but. Um, they definitely like I keep on finding really big prints here, and I'm like. Those are way bigger prints than what I would see in California. Yeah. I thought they were wolves at first, but apparently there's no wolves here. We so. have no wolves around here, but we have tons of coyotes, and they are little. I mean, they're they're mm -hmm. the size of a smaller than a border collie, and they're pretty small. Mm. Um, yeah, that's like the California ones. Yeah, they're pretty much the same species, I would say. Um, and we have cougars, but you know, cougars don't. Uh, you know they're not super dangerous, but it's the it's the bears that are like the most uh, problematic in terms of you're walking through the forest and then there's a bear, right? Like yeah, uh, the cougar could get you, but they're busy eating an elk somewhere else or <laughs> yeah, deer. And they don't want deer. Wanna, yeah. they don't want to run into you either. I think the scariest one we have here that I could encounter would be a moose. That's probably the most dangerous. We don't have any moose locally. They're not a thing here, but uh, they are. Yeah, they are. Da they are super dangerous. Although they're busy eating most of the time, so unless you fuck around with them, I think they're probably or you know you're on the road or something. 
Yeah. You're probably, you're probably all right unless, you know, <laughs> you're getting in between that. And that's really the main thing with bears too. Like if you get in between a, a bear and her, her cubs, then you're in deep shit. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. it's like you're separating the family and <laughs> that's not on. But uh, family values. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't think the males do, but they, the moms and the kids go together. Like, like, uh, they, you know, my kids are up this tree. What do you want from me? Fuck off yeah, or I'll eat you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will rip your face off. Yeah. And, and uh, there was, uh, I think it was last, last year, there was a video of some lady on her porch getting licked by a bear. And it's like, you wow. can, right. And she had her phone. It was on Instagram, so she had her phone out. <laughs> and the bear comes up to her and like licks her leg. It's like, dude, what the fuck is wrong with <laughs> Well, the thing is, is you know, like I, <laughs> if you're on, she she was on her phone, and then she noticed there was a bear. So I guess it wasn't oh, okay. much of a. It wasn't like, hey, you know what? I'll just wait here. But there are people who you know invite wild animals into their homes. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of get it, but, uh, bears are like dogs. You know, some of them are mean. <laughs> They're, they have something wrong with them and they don't like to just play pretend. Yeah. They want some foods and they'll break into your house. And, you know, like if you leave your car parked uh, on a road with food in it, the bears will break into it. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> they can, they have noses that can smell through cans and, you know, plastic bags, no problem. So. Well, where was that stuff online? Was that like, uh, uh, in the Arctic somewhere where there's like a bunch of abandoned research stations or something and the polar bears have just like moved into the station? Well, that seems, yeah, I think there was a, a, yeah, that uh, sounds familiar. I think that might have been on that, um, uh, Russian English language newspaper that has a great account. What's it? It's called yeah, uh, Siberian, Siberian Times. Come up. Siberian Although, Times. That's cool. Like they've got their own little village now. It's <laughs> like these are our houses now. Yeah, we're we're wintering in here because it's easier. Uh, Siberian Times, Twitter, and what do we call it? Uh, Polar. Bears, images, mother. No, yeah, it's like wow. This might be it. Can you guys hear that banging sound in no. the background? No. Okay, good. That's the um the blue jays on my balcony. Here. They're making enemies. The, they're destroying the um the bird food block out there. Oh, right. They kind of like hit it like a hammer. This is not the one I was thinking of, but this is the account. That that fourth picture looks so dejected. It's like lying there on the on the snow. This uh, this uh, it's got to be like the thinnest polar bear I've ever seen. Oh, they Aww. get super like hungry and dangerous. You get sick from not enough foods. But oh wow! This account is amazing, but I do oh, not see that one, one with him napping. Yeah, yeah, that that fourth one where is his like that fourth picture? Yeah, it's just makes my <laughs> this, makes my heart go. This is crazy. Look at this. 
<laughs> Just another day in Siberia. Sick. I have to get back to my Skype. Where is it? Oh. Wow. What, what's the in-flight service for that flight like? <laughs> get yak milk in your wow. <laughs> sheep milk in your coffee. Oh, we God. Have lots. oh, God. Huh. That is so strange. Siberia is like one of the coolest places in the world. I would like to visit it, but, uh, here but it is. It, it's, it's, point, it's pointed out to me. I like to visit. I'd like to visit everywhere, but yeah, you know, you it's, really it's like, yeah, like, that's what, the, where don't that I one. want that's to right. visit? And, and it's probably things like active volcanoes because I get sick, but even, even so I still would like to go to Hawaii. You so, see the uh, pause on these, these bears, like the yeah. bears around here. Um, they are way tinier than the, these guys, right? Like, yeah, polar bears are huge. They are no joke. They, huge. They, 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 they are. I mean, if if not for humans, they would be the top predator on the planet. That picture of them all in the house looking out the windows yeah. is so good. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd take a polar bear over a lion or a tiger any day of the week. Uh, you would? In a fight? In a fight? Yeah. <laughs> Oh God! Well, at least it'll be over quick. <laughs> There's more intelligent than the lion or the tiger. Uh, oh wait, you said you would take one, like if you were as, fighting. As, as, as if, if like take one. Okay, I'm sorry. That's I guess I guess that's an Americanism. It doesn't translate to New Zealand. It's like saying if I had to place a bet on polar bear versus. Tiger, oh, you're saying like, fighting? I, I thought you were you were fighting the polar bear. No, yeah, me no, too. No, no. I thought you were saying if you had to choose to fight between a polar bear and a lion oh, or a tiger, no. you'd choose polar bear. And I was like, oh. wow. No, no, no. Yeah, because no. it'll be over quicker. <laughs> polar bear versus lion or tiger. I take the I take the bear in that fight. Ah. Uh. And they'll cover the spread and then some. I see. Tigers are pretty, pretty toothy. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, now if you had the now if you changed it, they like okay, you stick them into an environment and they had to stalk each other. The tiger might have an advantage because the tiger's got better ground hunting skills than the bear. The bit than the bear and might actually win. But uh, I was like saying, if you drop them in the Roman style gladiatorial arena i take the bear bears around here are like fishers they like stand in the in the creeks and and just catch fish as they're coming up and then they eat berries the rest of the year so they're i mean but polar bears are yeah polar bears are obligate carnivores yeah they take on seals and walruses oh and speaking of which did you guys hear about the story where they found a group of killer whales took down a blue whale I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, that was and, and, the, and, and the weirdly, I mean, there's such weird specific countries that once they killed the blue whale, they ate the tongue first. Delicious. It's just like, oh my god, they even have <laughs> it's so big it'll take years. <laughs> no, but even so, it's just it's weird that they would have that. They would think to do that first. They're so smart. Yeah, I, they like, are sea wolves. It's the they, it's how they work, you know. Like yeah, it's like. I, I like what do I want to mess up in the ocean? I do not want to mess with. It. I mean, if like again, killer whale versus shark, I take the killer whale in that fight. 
Yeah, it was well, going to be great. Yeah. I'm still imagining Paul fighting the whale. Nah, I, I agreed. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Paul's in the water, and then there's a killer whale and a shark coming at him. Yeah, Paul is like wrestling them both. And like, <laughs> <laughs> using men's magazines covers. No, it's not quite how that works. <laughs> yeah, weasels t- tore my flesh. <laughs> yes, exactly those. But that, but that makes me think of the science fiction role-playing game Blue Planet where we find a gate to a world where we have uh, where the planet is mostly water and so we not only do we colonize it but we also get uplifted cetians to colonize it with us. Cetaceans. Cetaceans, thank cetaceans. you. Cetaceans. Yeah. Including yeah, killer whales and basically killer whales and dolphins. So uh, imagine an uplifted killer whale with uh, augmented uh, stuff. I was going to say it sounds kind of David Briney, but it's more it, 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 David Briney. David Briney. Blue Planet definitely stole <laughs> ideas from David Bryn. That's for sure. Uh, I mean, I guess his thing was the the his contribution was uh, doing it with dolphins, but I think all the stuff like it's so interesting. The more you oh, uh, uh, Brian's having trouble. Um, hmm. Settings, I guess. Go into settings if you can. And if you can't, go back to your other machine or whatever. I think he can hear us, but... He wants to contribute to the the bear uh, cetacean conversation. Alright. Okay. Uh, while, um, While we're waiting... Uh, let me just check the schedule and see if there's anything uh, you need to be updated about. Next week is. By the way, the thanks, thanks for sending this book early. I only just finished it this morning, and I feel like same. <laughs> yeah, I it's feel like I book. wouldn't. I would have had I, to like. I, 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 I know Trish bowed out because she just didn't have the time to read the whole thing. It's a big book, and it it's is. hard. It's like not one that you can easily skim. You like know. skim because Save you go it. through a few pages and you're like, what the? No, fuck no, is I, I, I started this. Save. I mean, this was the case where Save it. the last. Let's talk about that after. Oh, okay, did we get Brian? Sorry, sorry. Did we get Brian there for a second? No. Okay. All right. Um, Door into Summers next week. Hill of yeah. Dreams. Um, uh, that's a uh, says uh, eight a.m. That can't be right because Connor's going to be on for that. Let me just check the date on that. Um, so that would be the fifth. Yeah, that's a Saturday. So I'll just change the time there. Um, I know that's Paul's gaming time usually, right? Yeah. Ironically, it, yesterday, yesterday would work because we were off because the GM was traveling. But next Saturday, we're back. So. Right. Okay. Uh, it's another novel, and Marissa's not good with novels back-to-back. I've, I've been saying... Uh, maybe I'm not good with novels back to back to back to back, which is what we've been having a lot of lately. Um, I believe this one's relatively short. Um, and, uh, it's got a really interesting write up about it. Um, so some people think it's his best work, Arthur Mackin. Um, then we got a nice short thing called Call Me Nemesis. And then this one might be of interest, uh, by Donald Westlake. And then this one might be of interest to, yeah. Okay, Brian can hear us. Okay, now we can't, we can't hear, hear him yet. 
halfway there. Yeah. Um, oh. uh, hang on. Big Mike, which just refuses to find. Uh, uh, yeah. Unplug, replug, I guess. Um, and then we're going to do on the thir- 20th of March. Oh, shit. Uh, use what you got, I guess. Oh, I don't need to type this in. He can hear us. He can okay. hear us. Um, uh, the cold equations and the ones who walk away from Omelas. 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 I've never read this story. Uh, by Le Guin. Um, in a double it? show. Never read it. Not that one. Oh. Yeah, here's an opportunity. What, what's with the two? Is there a link between them? I believe there two? is. I believe there is a link between them. Um, but I've never read the ones who walk away from Omelas. But there's been like a little bit of dialogue on Twitter about how it, it sort of expresses itself in uh, in the same way that the cold equations does. Although I think people probably find it a lot less toxic or whatever, because mm-hmm. cold equations is a is a horrible story. Right. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to read the, the cold equations. Um, and I have not read the ones who walk away from Omelas. Have you read it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you have an opinion about it? Is it, is it make you think or? Yeah, it's, it does make me think, but it's also like, um, it's in conversation with a lot of other science fiction, I think. Cool. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. We just did Di- Dispossessed last week and that was, um, never, a book I'd never read before and it. It was the um, best thing I've read by her, I think. It's uh, it, I, I like it more than Left Hand of Darkness and, uh, and also more than uh, the Philip K. Dick one as well. Uh, you know what's Lady cool Panic. with... Um... Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I'm just saying it's, like a, if, it's an important, powerful book, I think, The Disp- Dispossessed. Yeah. <laughs> Are we getting you, Brian? Is that... Brian How about no? Now, yeah, yeah. Now? yeah, we can hear you. Yes. Well, the solution was to just get rid of my headphones and to get rid of my microphone. So. <laughs> oh, wow. That's... Just delete the internet, walk away, Wait, oh, don't use electricity. Because <laughs> this is a big blue mic, and uh-huh. this is a nice pair of headphones, and they just they just will not connect to my laptop. Um, huh. So can you hear me now? We can hear this... you, yeah. Okay, it's, well, it's I'm, in a, I'm in our sound booth. Yeah, um, it sounds like uh, dead, you know, like there's no echo and there's nothing. So we can use this. All right, well, I'm sorry for the delay. This no is worries. incredibly frustrating. Um, uh, I feel you. I had the same yeah. thing. And you think it's going to be like just a couple minutes, and then it's like, nope. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're at 841, aren't we? <laughs> we better get started. Yes. All right. Well, but, um, before we move uh-huh. on, I just want to say, with the ones who walk away from Amala's, there's mm-hmm. a really cool... There's like five or maybe more other stories that people have written in response yeah. to it. Yeah, I think that that's really one of the cool connections. To read together. Well, that's uh, yeah, just just, just like people write responses to right. equations. Lots of people write responses. To I think that us. that's the main connection. Is that nobody who reads the cold equations just walks away and says, "Yeah, that's fine. I'm, I'll move on to the next thing." They're like angry about oh, it, right. or they want to engage with it. They want to rewrite it, right? Um, the ones who walk away from Omelas, I believe, is the same thing. And, you know, there, that even happened with uh, The Star by Arthur C. Clarke. Like, some lady got so mad at that story, um, she wrote a re- rebuttal. And it's called Rebuttal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it, it was like, you know, like, I think six months or something down the road in the same magazine and used the same artist. Um, 
and it's a completely forgotten story, but it was like, uh, it, it just, this story it disturbed me and I'm not going to let this stand sort of thing, which is what yeah. the cold equations does. So I'm hoping yeah. that the ones who walk away from Omelas will have some sort of, uh, effect like that upon me. Yeah. When cool. I read it. So that, well, that's on the schedule. And if y'all want to, uh, do it, uh, it's there. And it's, yeah. I believe, uh, there's two short stories there. And th- can I put myself as a Christian and then? Yeah, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll put the commas in here. I did it. Okay. Uh, it says Misa. I don't see yours, but I will just put you right after. I don't oh, know. maybe it didn't let me. Yeah. Okay. You, I did. you might not be signed in or have the right browser. Okay, that's cool. Can yeah. I also put on the suggestion list at the bottom? Mm hmm. Um, uh, an Algonon Blackwood, Algernon, Algernon, yep. Algernon Blackwood. Uh, anything in particular? No, anything. Um, I've read. I just want to read more yeah. of his stuff, and I I've know read. if you guys do an episode, then I'll have an excuse to do right. it. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, um, he has an you know pretty much everything he wrote is public domain, so oh. that's good. He has a ton of stuff. Um, I've read like the Wendigo, which is pretty good. Um. And what's the willows that we've already done a show on that one? That's really good. Yeah, I love that one. Um, well, there's the uh, John Silence collection. Right. Uh, there's a, b- a bunch of stories of him as a as a protagonist. Uh, there's just tons of short stories. Um, that's that's really it. Um, and I'm always up for him. Yeah, he you know he, he wrote a ton. So um like some of his stuff is like this is just a simple ghost story about a guy who's afraid uh while he's camping on an island in you know Ontario. <laughs> it's like some Indians go around the island three times in a canoe and then they come in the house and they stab somebody in the bed that he's in but it's like it's not him. It's all like just ghostly stuff. So um what we sort of think of him as is today, I think is like, we think of him as a weird fiction writer. Um, and he did write weird fiction, but a lot of his stuff is just plain up ghost stories. Um, that's what like uh, Mr. Jim Moon was saying, like he used to be on the radio, the BBC, and they all, they called him the ghost man. Um, <laughs> and he that's did cool. like readings of stories that he wrote for them. And they were mostly ghost stories. Um, yeah, definitely could explore this um, if we can find... Like, the Wendigo is a really interesting story. You guys know that one? No, I'm not familiar. I, I know what a Wendigo is. Yeah, yeah. There's some great uh, Matt Fox illustrations in, uh, I want to say, Famous Fantastic Mysteries. And yeah, it's some people go camping or hunting, I guess, in Canada, and then they encounter a Wendigo. Uh yeah, that might be. And I, I'm pretty sure there's an audiobook of that on LibriVox. So, Ooh, cool. It's famous enough, I would imagine, that would be. If you want to book it, um, I can check it right now, but um, I don't know those how long we have Paul nice. for. Hmm? Those illustrations are nice. Oh, yeah. Sweet, sweet uh, Matt Fox illustrations. Um, and there's some, I think, some more past the opening splash as well, though maybe they're a little muddier. LibriVox, Algernon, Blackwood... Uh, Willow. No, not Willows. Uh, Wendigo. See how long it is. There is one. Um, 
two hours. A camper tale. Hunting party separate separates to track moose, and one member is abducted by a Wendigo. Robert Aikman regarded dun, dun, this dun. as one of possibly six great masterpieces in the field. I think I just sold Marissa on this one. <laughs> I, th- yeah. I, 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 think that, I think that's a win. You want to uh, pick a date for that? Uh, yeah, yeah. Let me just quickly look at my calendar. Make sure there's nothing crazy there. Yeah, this is a good book for you right now, considering where you're living, uh, as opposed to California, where you know the trees or New are... Zealand. Uh, well, I don't, I, I don't know what the tree situation is in New Zealand, but uh, Vermont is a lot more like. I don't know. They gotta have trees. In I mean, maybe maybe may, may, maybe maybe southern New Zealand, but northern New Zealand was practically tropical jungle, even though it was not in the yeah, tropics. I yeah, I, I was surprised, like that that uh, that valley slash pass I was in was like, it's like this is like a tropical jungle. What the hell? No one told me there was a tropical jungles in New Zealand. It must be all, all the ferns and stuff. Yeah, just the regular plants help give that feel of like a primeval, primeval, primordial jungle that you're traping. It really is, yeah. It it was really sick. I really liked it a lot. I could do um, maybe the third of April or the seventeenth. Okay, Uh, which do you prefer? Um. Uh, either or you can all right we'll just do the first one then. you can take your pick whichever one is brian around for either one of those because oh he's yeah interested as well give, give me the dates again april 3rd or 17th oh paul is not oh no that's the 10th paul's not available uh both of those work for me the 17th has the advantage of being easter sunday so i i you want that better yeah, because right. we get to celebrate Easter Sunday with some horror. <laughs> nice. Good call. Right. <laughs> Love right. it. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to put my name on there. Paul, you want to be in on this one? Yes. All right. And uh, so same time, same date, uh, on Saturday at 8 a.m.? Wait, wait. Oh, Saturday. Sunday. Sorry. What? what am I thinking? <laughs> uh, I yeah. Don't want to be on there. Got it. All right. What's the March 17th? I'm just confirming that that is the right. April 17th. April. Yeah, that's wrong. Okay. There it is. It is a Sunday. All right. Well, that's solved. Good. Um, it's just managed. Yeah. Uh, who's ready for a doomed city? All right. All right. I was born ready. Okay. Here we go. Uh, oh, Paul, will you uh, put your recorder on if it is d- deigning to work today? Now that you've, uh, uh, I, I will try. I'll try it again, and hopefully it will work. Mm-hmm. Okay, I will hit the start button again. Hopefully, it will not break it. Just What's like our it. order again? Oh, uh, Jesse, Paul, um, Marissa, Brian. I would guess. Okay. Uh, that's a good question at this point. I might have to recalculate the numbers, but that sounds right. <laughs> it's yeah, probably so. right. It's not worth our. Our extra time to do the calculation because I know you're you're running out of time and Brian's usually. Well, off well, as... I don't have gaming today, so okay. Theor- also, so, I don't think me and Brian are going to be really upset if one of us <laughs> goes before the other one. Yeah, yeah, yeah but <laughs> I'm happy to go last. 
<laughs> All right. Here we go. Well, last is the best position. You get to, you know. Remember, Marissa is ahead of Marissa is ahead of Brian by yeah. a substantial margin. That, that makes sense because she did all those Philip K. Dicks. Yep. She did uh, that, Marissa that, is ahead of me in all things. Wow. <laughs> all right. Here we go. Oh, uh, let me just get my um, my security blanket, a.k.a. the Wikipedia entry out. Because <laughs> I've been pronouncing uh, Boris and Arcady's last name wrong for my whole life. Oh, really? Yeah. Here we go. Oh.